Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Sharon, uh, you sound much better tonight. I, I hope you're feeling a, a lot better than Monday night. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> what a difference a day or two can make here. Uh, thank you guys for uh, stepping up to the plate there on Monday night because I was really out of it. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and get into tonight's show because uh, in our first half hour, what we're going to do is uh, kind of give a few updates from a couple series that are not racing this weekend. Uh, that would include the Arkham Menard Series and the Canon Pro Series East to race last weekend. Uh, then we'll do a preview of the Canon Pro Series West, who is racing at Meridian Speedway this weekend. Uh then at 9 o'clock, we'll get into a few updates from the Gander Outdoor Truck Series. They're off for another week, so, again, this is updates uh, until they get back. 9.20, we'll do our preview of the Xfinity Series at uh, Charlotte's Roval. At 9.40, it's the Cup Series at the Charlotte Roval. And at 10 o'clock, we have NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, Andy is not going to be able to join us tonight, so it's going to be just you and me, Jay. Yeah, yet again, unfortunate. I know he had, had planned on being here. Another uh, big news week. Uh, you wouldn't have thought oh, yeah. it, but we we got some big things to talk about on Hot Topics. Unfortunate Andy won't be here to join us with that. I know, and he's probably disappointed. I didn't get a chance to ask him what his thoughts are. I don't know if you did, uh, but... Uh, We'll miss you, Andy, and hope uh, we get a chance to talk to you on Monday. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the Arkham and Art Series. They are not racing uh, this weekend, uh, but they will be racing uh, coming up very soon. They're racing at Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, it's their next-to-last event before <laughs> their season finale at Kansas Speedway uh, that will be taking place later in in um, October. So I believe their race is at it's the Urs Potato Chips 200, Chase the Taste 200. That will take place on October the 5th 
at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, again, at Lucas Oil Raceway. So uh, in case you didn't know, (laughs) hopefully you know where that race is going to take place. Now, they are also going to be televising this race on MAP TV, Jay. And as you know, uh, a lot of times fans, if they don't have MAP TV, they can go to ARCARacing.com and get a lot of the information about what's happening during the event. Most certainly. Uh, in today's uh, media, you, there's no way you can miss a race because there are certainly ways to get it. Uh, again, if you, like you said, don't have MAP TV, you can follow live timing and scoring from the ARCA racing homepage there for the Arkham Menard series, which is a, a valuable way. Again, that's what a lot of times I end up using when I'm out on the road. Absolutely. Uh, so, But this is a tight points battle. There's a great article at ARCARacing.com about just how tight this is, just five points between uh, two teammates in first and second place, uh, Michael Self and Christian Eckes. And they're going to be, according to this article, slugging it out for the championship title, uh, almost a David and Goliath uh, type storyline here. Yeah, you can't ask for anything, especially I know the Arkham and Art Series doesn't use a, a playoff system. But to have it come down to this of uh, two drivers or multiple drivers anyway on the track, I mean, it's going to come down to to uh, these last two races on the track. And, and that's what you want to see as a race fan. You can't ask for anything more out of a series and a championship battle. Absolutely not. And uh, these guys have really put on a great show all season long. And, uh, again, if you can get out to Lucas Oil Raceway on October the 5th, it would definitely be worth it because there is just so much going on uh, in this series, and uh, it's going to be a race worth watching as uh, these guys go for that championship title uh, for the year. They put a lot into it all season. Michael Self, right now, in 18 starts, he has four victories, 13 top fives, and 13 top tens in 18 starts. Christian Eckes in second place has only 17 starts of the 18 races run. He missed that one race at Salem earlier in the year, uh, and uh, he has a total of three wins, 11 top fives, and 15 top ten finishes in his 17 starts. So uh, pretty impressive for both of those guys. You know that the Venturini team as a whole has to be proud, but a little little uh, tense, too, if you will, having both of, both their team cars there being the two that are going to battle it out. You know one of them is going to come home uh, without that victory, and they're both so deserving of it. I mean, you look at, you mentioned Christian Eck, he's missing a race, working so hard to get back in this championship battle, and unfortunately it's come at the expense of his teammate Michael Self, who's had some great runs but also had a couple of mechanical problems which has uh, allowed that gap to be closed up. So, uh, you know, it's tough on a team. I mean, they, they want the best in the success for, for both of their teams, but it's going to come down to one's going to win it and one's not. Exactly. And, and I'll tell you what, Venturini Motorsports as a whole has had a fantastic season uh, this year in the Arkham Menard Series. They are a stalwart in the series uh, having been around since uh, 1987, I believe. And uh, this is huge that uh, they're having such a big year in this series. 
Oh, yeah, as, as a team, you're right. I mean, their entire team there with the drivers they brought in part-time, uh, Chandler Smith, I know Haley Deegan's run some races for him. Um, I believe it was Ty Majeski as well for a couple. You couldn't ask for anything more out of a team, and that tells you what kind of team they are. So I wouldn't be surprised. Again, we may see a driver or two move up, but they will have no problem filling those seats and seeing possibly more full-time competitive, uh, full-time teams next year as they've shown that they have the cars to put on the track. Absolutely. And if you're an up-and-coming driver, that's the team uh, that you want to race for in the Arkham Menard Series. Now, next year we've got a whole new thing going on in the Arkham Menard Series, so that'll be interesting to watch uh, to see how that pulls out next year as well. But definitely mark your calendars for October the 5th. Uh, for this race at Lucas Oil Raceway. Again, it will be televised on MAP-TV uh, on Saturday night, October the 5th. Uh, but you can also follow along with live timing and scoring once you register at ArcaRacing.com. So it's a one to mark on your calendar as a do-not-miss race this weekend. Um, <clears throat> okay, with that, let's go ahead and talk a little bit now about the um, – Canon Pro Series East, they raced last weekend, uh, Ty Gibbs earning his very first victory at uh, uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway, and uh, this is coming down to just one more race for these guys. Yeah, it's been a great battle. Uh, It looks like uh, Sam Mayer, uh, again, depending on the car count, should have the championship locked up, but uh, you got Drivers from first all the way through fifth have picked up a win, as well as seventh and twelfth place in points that weren't running full time. So it's been a very competitive season for the Canon Pro Series East. But Sam Mayer has just been so consistently good week in and week out. Yeah, if you look at his stats, it really is has been impressive. In eleven starts for Sam Mayer, he has three wins, ten top fives, and ten top tens. Uh, two pole awards. He's um, finished 12,098 laps. He's led 374 of those laps. That's the most in the series. He has an average starting position of 3.5. Guess what his average finish position is? 3.5. He's had just an incredible season. He has a total of 463 points, 30 points over second-place driver. And that's where I said, I mean, it doesn't matter how good you run. If if your uh, opponent is finishing an average of 3.5, again, top fives in 10 out of 11 races, really tough to gain points on somebody that's having finishes like that. Exactly. Now, Ty Gibbs, uh, he's had six races in the Can-Am Pro Series this season. He's the only guy who's got a better average finish, I believe, and his average finish runs at 2.2. Uh, his average started 8.0, so that's six starts compared to 11, but that's still pretty impressive. It is. There again, you're talking about an, a top five finish in every race he's been in, and we've seen him make starts in several of the series. Uh, once you see him move into a ride full time, which uh, we'll have to wait and see what next next season brings in 2020, but you're looking at a championship contender uh, if you're finishing top five every every race. You're a championship contender no matter what series you run in. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with uh, Sam Mayer for next season as well, if he's going to come back to the Canon Pro Series. Because he was a rookie this year, or if you think he's going to move up uh, into one of NASCAR's top three. Well, and I, I don't know if I, if you get into one of the top three of NASCAR series, but we've seen him make a couple of truck starts. We've seen him make several Arca Menard series starts where we got to see him. I think that mm-hmm. was the first place I actually saw him run and talk to him. And I said, you were going to see his name come up more and more often. So I, I truly think we will see him maybe at the Arca Menard series or possibly one of the others. But, um, you know, I, I hate to see the, the Canon East series lose a driver like that. But we know that's the evolution of it as we got several others. Again, uh, Ty Gibbs then possibly ready to step right in and fill that spot. So part of the the ladder, the step ladder. Uh, I would expect to see him truthfully up in the Arkham and Ard series, if not one of the NASCAR's top three touring series. Yes, indeed. Uh, He's he's a good racer. He's uh, really had an amazing rookie season uh, competing for the championship uh, during his rookie season. And, and like you say, we're going to see more of Sam Mayer as time goes on. But I think Rev Racing has had a really outstanding year as well. They most certainly have. Uh, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. Uh, they've been a solid uh, state team there in the Can-Am series. Uh, I'd have to go back through and look at previous years. But I, off the top of my head, I would have to say this has been their their best season as a team as a whole, for sure, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Chase Cabre, uh, in the number two car, uh, has had a pretty good season. He's had uh, 11 starts with two wins, six top fives, nine top tens, and four pole awards this season. He's finished uh, 1,200 laps, led 205 of those laps. Average start is 3.5, average finish at 5.9. Again, he's just 30 points behind uh, the leader, uh, Sam Mayer. And in order for him to really advance and and make some progress on that, Sam Mayer is going to have to have some bad luck uh, for Chase Cabre to really gain ground on him. But like you said, it's so close uh, between second and fifth that uh, these guys are going to be racing uh, he's going to be racing to keep his second-place position because behind him, just 12 points behind, is Spencer Davis in third place and then Tanner Gray in fourth place, Max McLaughlin in fifth place, 61 points back, and Chase's teammate, Ruben Garcia, in sixth place, 66 points back. And every one of those you, you mentioned, with the exception of, of, of Ruben Garcia, has picked up at least one, one win. Chase Cabaret actually having two. But when you look at their total stat lines, uh, again, 11 races, you're talking an average, it looks like, of about five to six top five finishes, eight, nine, ten top tens out of those 11 races. You take that by itself and you look at the competitiveness of uh, the sport-like racing, that's a very solid season. You know, it's just, uh, in this case, Sam Mayer having such a phenomenal season you know, they kind of get overshadowed. But you take any one of those stat lines, and that is a phenomenal season itself in the racing industry. Without a doubt, uh, it is a phenomenal season. I, I think both of these series have been fun to watch this season. One more race remains for the Canon Pro Series East, Jay, and that's going to be at Dover International Speedway. 
this not this weekend, but next weekend, Friday, October the fourth, and that's going to be it for the Canon Pro Series East. That's amazing. The season has just flown by. It really has. I mean, we talked about that. Uh, you know, at the top level, you got all three already into the playoffs. Uh, the K&N season here wrapping up. Two races left to go with the Arca Menard Series. So a lot of big races coming up. And i got to say, for the K&N East to end at a track like Dover, a historic track such as uh, Dover with uh, Monster of the Mile, we all know how that goes. So it's kind of a, a wild card, if you will. It's not exactly the easiest track to get a hold on from what, what I've been told and seen. So uh, <laughs> quite an interesting finish for the K&N East Series. It is, but they will be on a national stage. I believe some of NASCAR uh, uh, top series will be there as well that weekend. And uh, this is going to be a fun one. I believe this one, uh, all of these races you can watch on live streaming on uh, fanschoice.tv. And then there's always the NBC Sports Network delayed broadcast where you can watch the race as it unfolded. And uh, that's going to be pretty cool as well. And I think you mentioned it with the Arkham Menard Series about the changes for next year with NASCAR actually buying out the Arkham Menard Series um, last year. This year they kind of remain status quo, but we're going to see some big things coming. And I think you're going to see some better, or not better, uh, more extensive and coverage of these K&N Pro Series, which I think is only yeah. better for, again, the sport as a whole, these drivers that are up and coming, um, so fans will, will get a lot more content out of that. Yeah, interesting that you said up and coming, because uh, if we move on to the K&N Pro Series West, there's a 15-year-old, uh, his name is Zach Telford. He's making his K&N Pro Series debut this weekend at Meridian Speedway, uh, one of four races left in the Canon Pro Series West. So that race, uh, again, is taking place this weekend uh, at Meridian Speedway in Idaho. It's Saturday, September the 28th at 1.20 p.m. in the afternoon uh, Eastern Time. So uh, this is a .25-mile paved oval Last year's winner there was Haley Deegan. Uh, the pole sitter was Derek Krauss. So both of those guys are back this year uh, to race this race. Uh, but uh, it's pretty cool to know that we've also got uh, a newbie, uh, somebody making their debut on this track as well. So many cool things here with the, with the K&N West Series. Uh, you mentioned that of a, of a new upstart driver getting that start um, with this race. Uh, you talked about Haley Deegan and, and Derek Krause. We, we've seen the battle between them, again, amongst teammates on that Bill McAnally team, um, how that will play mm-hmm. out, especially following last year's race. And you mentioned the, the fact that they have uh, – this will be one of the last, was it, three or four races yet for the K&N West Series. Um, being out on the West Coast, a little bit warmer weather, longer into the year, they can race a little longer, so – uh, especially for the West Coast fans, that, that allows that opportunity. Exactly. And for the championship points leader, uh, Derek Krause, he's got uh, a little bit of work to do to kind of get himself back up to, to make sure that he keeps that number one spot, I should say, uh, for Bill McAnally Racing. His teammate, Haley Deegan, is just 29 points behind him with four races remaining. 
so that's very different than what it is in the East. They still have quite a bit of racing left. Uh, Derek comes from Stratford, Wisconsin, so he's one of our Midwestern drivers out there. Uh, he's only finished outside the top ten once in 2019, and that was at Sonoma. He's finished inside the top five 70% of his races, and he's led the most laps, 189. Uh, he led the most laps last year at Meridian Speedway. That was 189 uh, before being relegated to a third-place finish. Uh, and in his two races at Ohio, Idaho, uh, he has a pair of top fives. So even though he finished, uh, you know, not where he wanted to, I think he's going to be looking to come back. Uh, this year and uh, go out and win that race. And there again, uh, similar to what we saw on the East, nine top tens out of ten races, seven of them being top fives, picking up three wins. That's what put him in the points lead. But you got Haley Deegan right behind him in those same ten races, two wins, five top fives, and eight top tens. Uh, so, so competitive. I mean, it is so tough to gain points or, or gain on another driver. Um, but this series especially here is even closer. Third, I'm sorry, second through fourth is a matter of five points. So, again, you're still battling for the lead. You still have that outside chance with four races remaining of getting into the championship hunt. But you're also watching uh, right behind you as Jagger Jones and Trevor Huddleston are right there with them. Absolutely. Now, keep in mind, the defending winner is Derek Cross's uh, teammate, Haley Deegan, at Bill McAnally Racing. And remember, it was last year when she made history uh, at Meridian Speedway by becoming the first female to ever win a Can-Am Pro Series race. So uh, that move came on the last lap after bumping her teammate, who was her then-teammate, who was Cole Rouse. Uh, she led only one of 208 laps, but made sure it was uh, the most important one, I guess. Uh, when it was all said and done. The one thing, and I know we've talked about this a couple of times on Hot Topics, of you got to watch mm-hmm. that again. She actually has the chance to battle for the championship, and she's proven that even if it's a teammate or whatever, she feels she has the better car and, and can make that move. But there's still some uh, other drivers that aren't necessarily as impressed with that, one being Todd Souza, who's in sixth place. So we'll see if there's any carryover of that. And we talked about this in the champ- in different championships of as you go for that championship hunt, though. You don't necessarily want to be making enemies either. Yes, that's true, because you want more friends than enemies on the track when you're going for a title. Uh, now, keep in mind, too, I think this is the first that I've seen uh, where we have two females that are in the top ten. Uh, another Bill McAnally racing driver, Brittany Zamora, is also uh, looking to continue the team dominance. Uh, they came off of a 1-2-3 finish last year, uh, and also the team won two of the last three years at Meridian Speedway. So those were the drivers that were 1-2-3 last year at Meridian Speedway, and they're all going to be looking for that victory this year. And we've seen some great development there with uh, Brittany Zamora. Uh, again, kind of overshadowed by the teammates on that team, but the season she has had is, is nothing to uh, to overlook, if you will. Currently sitting, I believe it, she is 
fifth in points with Mm -hmm. five top fives and six top tens in those ten races. Uh, Another one that you just got to give the shout-out to Bill McAnally is one of those teams in the Can-Am Pro Series West that has done such a phenomenal job of developing these young drivers and setting them on their way to achieving the top level in NASCAR. Yeah, just like we were talking about Venturini in the Arkham Menard Series, in the Canon Pro Series West, that top team is Bill McAnally Racing and all the other teams coming into that series. That's their goal is to beat them. Um, so he does such a great job developing drivers that move on uh, as you know, part of the Toyota Racing Development Program. Uh, they move on to NASCAR's top three. And uh, we've seen that over and over. Now, there's a couple of Sunrise Ford cars, though, uh, that are going to be gunning for uh, position this weekend as well at Meridian Speedway. Uh, And you mentioned them a little bit earlier. Jagger Jones and Trevor Huddleston come in just behind uh, Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, Huddleston went to victory lane twice this season, most recently at Evergreen Speedway. He's earned a top 10 in his first start last season, uh, uh, and that was uh, at Idaho uh, Meridian Speedway. So he's going to be looking forward to going back there, uh, doing better than a top 10. And uh, I think these guys are, are trying to, to are going to be trying to uh, get their best possible positions. Uh, Jones is also. Uh, he, Jones is going to be seeing the quarter mile for the first time, as he has everywhere this season. Uh, but he, like he has also done everywhere, he's adapted very quickly. And I look for him to be fighting inside that top five uh, at uh, at uh, Meridian Speedway this weekend. And you mentioned mentioned that of, of Bill McAnally kind of being the the bar, so to say, in the in the Canyon West. And Brunkati uh, team has also been a very strong team, but they knew it coming into the season and threw down a friendly gauntlet, if we, if you will, saying yeah. that that was the team they knew they had to beat and, and what they were going after. And they've done a great job. Again, both of those drivers you mentioned, third and fourth in points. Again, five and four top fives out of ten races, eight and nine top tens. I mean, they definitely – and Trevor Huddleston picking up the two wins. You know, they let them know that they're there to compete and have hung right there with them. Uh, at this point, McAnally still has a little bit of, a, of an edge. But we'll see how the final points shake down there as the top five are all amongst those two teams. Now, there is a dark horse here that uh, fans should keep their eyes on uh, in the race this weekend. That's Travis Milburn in the shadow of BMR and uh, Sunrise Ford for most of the season. Uh, he is a cart Idaho racing driver and has only competed he's actually only competed at Meridian once last season he got a 13th place finish there but has shown steady progress throughout the season this year earning four top 10 finishes with a smaller team so those teams that we've been talking about Sunrise Ford um Brancati Racing um uh, what was I just saying Bill McAnally Racing, uh, those teams are are the bigger teams in the series. Uh, Travis Milburn's working with a smaller organization, uh, but getting some really great results. So I look for uh, Travis uh, to be a dark horse this weekend, and he may surprise a few people. Oh, most certainly, and when you talk about that, of that is possibly something that 
helps a driver stand out even more, if you will, knowing that you can compete against the bigger teams with a, a less underfunded team or, or not one of those top-tier teams, but a driver that, that still gets up there and mixes it up with them and shows that they can compete even with a lower team like that. Uh, maybe even get some a little more recognition by your top team saying, hey, look what they can do in that equipment. What if we put them in ours? Mm-hmm. Now, here's another driver. We talked about him just a few minutes ago making his debut. 15-year-old Zach Telford uh, is a teenager. He's uh, going to be one of the local favorites to maybe be a spoiler this week. Uh, he's, a, he's from Middletown, Idaho. He finished fourth in the NASCAR Whaling All-American Series, uh, Idaho State standings. Uh, he's also competing at Magic Valley and Meridian. He's a two-time winner at Meridian uh, in the PitStopUSA.com modified division, and he's also won two of five Napa Big Five late model events on his way to finishing third in that point standing. So uh, he's got some experience at this track and uh, that could be uh, spoiler material right there, even though he's making his debut. And most certainly, uh, when you come in with those type of credentials, you can't exactly call him a dark horse, even though it's the, their series debut. Um, and at such a young age, he still has to obviously be considered one of the top contenders to watch out for. Without a doubt. Okay, uh, let's make sure we uh, cover... Well, we're at the top of the hour. We've kind of run out of time, so I'm just going to kind of go over it again. Uh, that race takes place uh, this Saturday, September the 28th at 1.20. This is an afternoon race, not an evening race. Uh, that's 1.20 Eastern Time. You can follow the live streaming at fanschoice.tv. Uh, you can do that live, and then uh, that's 8.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And if you want to wait for the NBC Sports Network broadcast, that will take place on Friday, October the 4th. That it will be at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and uh, there will be a lot to look forward to at this race. If you're out in Idaho and you want to watch this race, get out there to the track. Uh, it's going to be a good one. Most certainly is. And, again, as that wraps up uh not quite wraps up, but leads to the final of their series. Again, they do have four races left, so it should be quite interesting. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to go ahead now and move on to the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, They are off for another week. They've actually got a couple more weeks here that they're going to be off. Uh, they will. Their next race is the Sugarland Shine 250, and that will be take place at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, but that race doesn't happen until Saturday, October the 12th. So again, mark your calendars. Uh, you want to get out to Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, the winner there. Uh, in 2018 with Tim, is Timothy Peters. I really miss seeing Timothy Peters as a regular in that series. He's such a good racer, but uh, uh, hopefully he'll be back maybe uh, to race this race uh, that weekend. We'll have to wait and see. Let's well, talk about right, breaking guys. down the round of six tracks. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you're, you're right. We do like seeing Timothy Peters, uh, and maybe we will during that Entry list obviously not out yet, as as you mentioned, October 12th. 
And that starts the round of six. So let's take a quick look uh, at the tracks that will make up that round of six. Sharon mentioned Talladega Super Speedway, the 2.66-mile high, uh, high bank Super Speedway with 33 degrees of banking. So uh, in the corners and 16.5 on the straightaways, obviously a wild card. And then you move on to Martinsville Speedway, the, the paperclip as it's affectionately known is a half-mile, 0.52-mile short track with only 12 degrees of banking in the turns and perfectly flat on the straightaways. So that one's another kind of a, a unique track. And then they'll wrap up that round of six and determine the championship four in November on November 8th at ISM Raceway, which is in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, that's a one-mile track recently configured prior to the 2018 fall race. It moves that start-finish line formally from the backstretch putting the dog leg to the finish line on the front stretch. Now that one, again, a little bit different. The turns one and two are 11 degrees in banking, while it's only nine degrees in three and four. So a very unique track to wrap up their regular, or I'm sorry, not the regular season, but final race prior to the championship for it and sending four drivers to Homestead, Miami. Yeah, let me just clarify that as far as the reconfiguration. Uh, they moved the start-finish line to the former backstretch uh, that's just before that dog leg. So um, just a, a little bit of a clarification there on, on that reconfiguration of the track. And I, th- I think it was uh, a phenomenal move by that track. Yeah, it really was. Okay, now we were mentioning uh, Timothy Peters at Talladega. Uh, uh, Talladega is one of his playgrounds, if you will. He's the defending race winner there. He's won 33% of his truck series races at Talladega, and he leads the series all-time wins list there with three victories at that 2.66-mile super speedway. Now, the last time Peters ran full-time in the Gander Truck Series was 2016. He was racing in just his fourth race of the season last year when he dramatically took the win after Noah Gregson crashed while attempting to block Peters. That third win uh, in nine starts at Talladega cemented him um, at the top of that win's list. After that, uh, marked, uh, after that marked Peters' third win, uh, 2014, 15, and 18, and his last four starts there. He didn't compete at Talladega in 2017. In that fourth start, he crossed the line in third place. So uh, he he still finishes in the top five there. Overall, in his nine races, he has three victories. He has five top fives, and he has six top tens. Now, joining him on the list of drivers with multiple wins at Talladega include Todd Bodine, who did it in 2007 and 8, Kyle Busch in 2009 and 10, Parker Kligerman in 2012 and 17. So, um, again, we're hoping to see Timothy Peters back behind the wheel uh, in this next Talladega race. Certainly do hope so. Again, I'd love to see him in the trucks no matter where it's at, but Talladega especially. Now, when we talk about this being that, that round of six during a uh, three weeks off here between the NASCAR and their truck series races, I'm going to break down the super speedway performance of two playoff contenders. Last week, we focused on the top two seeds into the round of six, which is Brett Moffitt and Austin Hill. 
Today we're going to look kind of at the middle of the pack, and that's Ross Chastain and Stuart Friesen. Uh, Stuart Friesen, the number 52 Helmar Friesen Chevrolet, has had a mediocre success at Talladega. He's made two appearances at the 2.66-mile behemoth, finishing sixth in the most recent recent visit and putting on a respectable 17th-place finish in 2017. Now, his luck at, hasn't been as good as at Daytona. Unfortunately, he's crashed out of all three races he started there. However, due to the mass amount of attention at the season opener in Florida this year, he managed to finish 10th despite crashing late and finishing three laps down. When we talk about the number 45, I'm sorry, did you want to do Chastain? No, that's okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Chastain making that switch over to the Chase the Truck Series Championship, the number 45 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet. He's at has twice finished third at super speedways, including the most recent at one of those venues, which was at Daytona in February, over a total of eight starts on those tracks. He's made three appearances at Talladega Super Speedway, but none since 2016. In his first showing in Alabama in 2012, he was involved in a mid-race crash and finished 34th. The following year, he put on his best finish at the track, placing third. And then in 2016, he came home with a 15th-place finish. Now, at Daytona, he's made five starts, posting an average finish of 21.0, with three of his races unfortunately ending early as a result of crashes. And Nice Motorsports is the fifth different team with whom Chastain has raced at super speedways. He's also run with SS Greenlight Racing at Talladega and Daytona in 2012, Brad Keselowski Racing, which was Talladega and Daytona in 2013, Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises, which is Daytona of 14, Bowen Motorsports, Talladega in 16, and Daytona in 17, and now Nice Motorsports, which covered Daytona and Talladega of this year. Yeah, he's been pretty impressive, all the different teams that he's raced for, and he he uh, doesn't matter to him where he's racing or who he's racing for, he's putting forth his uh, best foot at all times. Okay, now we mentioned that we did a couple of previous breakdowns here with the top two drivers, Brett Moffat in the number 24 for GMS Racing and Austin Hill in that number 16 for Hattori Racing uh, Enterprises. Um, This fall is going to mark Hill's third trip to Talladega Super uh, Speedway where he finished 10th their last fall and was 22nd when he raced at Alabama in 2015. He's already tamed Daytona, winning the season opener this year. Uh, That clinched his playoff berth uh, early in the season. And his other two races at Daytona, he placed 30th in 2015 and 11th in 2018. Uh, Brett Moffat, uh, again in the uh, 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet, uh, they Super Speedways really haven't been Moffat's best friend in his limited appearances at those venues. Now, he's only made one visit to Talladega, and that race that was the race last fall. He started eighth. He finished 17th there and route to his Gander Truck Series title. He does have three starts at NASCAR's other Super Speedway, Daytona. His best finish there was 22nd in 2017. And since then, he's had a pair of 26-place finishes. So uh, just a refresher of what those uh, breakdowns were for the top two contenders uh, going into 
uh, again, this little break that they have right now, but before that Talladega race in October. The good thing for that, as we talked about, some of these that don't have the best track record, we know Talladega, obviously, we've talked several times about crashes that can take you out of a race, especially for those top contenders. They got the wins and the playoff points built up to the top seed. It's the first race of the round. So even if they do have that hiccup, they got a little bit of time to recover and some points to fall back on. So, again, that's why you work so hard throughout this season to build up those points. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to take a look okay. at uh, the track record of some champs at Talladega. Now, if you're a championship contender and don't have that great weekend at Talladega, like I mentioned, you don't have to fret quite yet. It hasn't been the most welcoming track for title holders in recent years. Since the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series began racing in Talladega back in 2006, no champion has won at the 2.66-mile Alabama Super Speedway during their title season. In fact, only two series champions have even visited Talladega's victory lane at some point in their career, and that's the 2006-10 and 10 champion, Todd Bodine. He won there in 2007 uh, and 8. Well, 2016 title holder Johnny Sauter won the 2013 uh, 2013 race. So if we look at active drivers who hold championships, Sauter leads them all with a win, three top fives, and five top ten finishes in ten Talladega starts. His win came again in 2013, but he's only averaged a finish of 15.8 in the races since. His most recent race in Alabama was cut short by the wreck, relegating him to the 22nd place finish. Matt Crafton, who was a champion in 2013 and 14, is next with 13 starts at Dega, yielding only one top five, which is a fourth in 2010, and four top tens. His average finish is 16.8, and he's had three DNFs. His most recent trip made uh, put him in the ninth position. And finally, last year's champion, Brett Moffitt, he's only made again the one visit to Talladega, where he finished 17th last fall. So that's quite interesting to look at that as far as, especially in their championship run seasons. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Some stats there with regard to uh, the championship and Talladega Super Speedway. But we all know it's a wild card and anything can happen. Uh, But uh, it's going to be the first of the round of six and uh, they'll have two more races after Talladega uh, to determine who will be those final four going on to Homestead, Miami, to compete for that title. Certainly uh, will be a factor, no doubt. We could see somebody pick up that win and lock themselves in advance already, or we could see somebody continue to build on what they've built up already as far as playoff points just to give them that safety net for the final two races. Without a doubt. Now, uh, we, it's, we're a little early to move on to the Xfinity uh, series, uh, and I know we don't have all of our picks in yet, do we, Jay? Uh, no. Well, obviously, the truck series uh, are off for a couple of weeks. I can give the points on where we mm-hmm. sit with that. And as far as the okay. Xfinity series, um, we got three out of the five, uh, Sam and James. Actually, James tried to give his a little early, but I had to had to notify him that his driver was already taken. He had to wait one more pick, so still waiting mm. to hear back from him. But the three we got in, 
for the Xfinity series as we lead into talking about that series. Uh, I got to kick it off, and I went with Austin Sindrick, who's been uh, good on the road courses this year. Andy mm-hmm. took last year's winner, Chase Briscoe. And if you follow along with our fantasy picks for this show or no Sharon, <laughs> she took Cole Custer. <laughs> no surprises there. Not not a whole lot, no. Um, and actually, it was uh, Briscoe that James tried to take. So uh, wait and oh. see what, how him and Sam play that out. And well, and he knew yeah. it too. He knew it. He knew that he hadn't heard yet who the picks were. So he said Briscoe if he was available. And I was like, yeah, he's on the not available list. But to, to give a r- rundown here of the truck series, uh, that series uh, again, we've had the first round of their playoffs so far. Um, I'm sitting at 65 points to lead that over Andy at 55, Sharon here at 38, Sam at 36, and James at 35. Now, we've seen a couple of huge shifts in the other series already with picking up these wins now. We're 10 points. That's obviously 30 points difference from top to bottom in this one. Still could change everything in these final six or uh, four races. Uh, without a doubt, uh, I, I think that uh, these playoffs are really going to be uh, interesting, and uh, I do think that we're in for a few surprises before it's all said, said and done. Okay, we're a little bit ahead, but uh, we've been there before, only to be behind later, so let's go ahead and get started with the NASCAR Xfinity Series. The drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North America will take place this weekend, uh, Saturday, September the 28th, at Charlotte Motor Speedway's road course, affectionately known as the Roval. Uh, the race should start sometime around 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, but the uh, pre-race will be on NBC Sports Network starting at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they'll be racing a distance of 155.3 miles over 67 laps. Stage 1 will end on lap 20. Stage 2 ends on lap 40. And the last stage, of course, ends on the last lap. Last year's race winner, as Jay mentioned a few minutes ago, is Chase Briscoe. So uh, (laughs) he would love to go back there and win again. That was the very first uh, victory on the Roval in the Xfinity series. So that's quite an honor for him. It is. And there's so many things that come into play with this Roval this weekend, as we talk about it. Um, again, only having the one race, they've made a change with the chicane. So a uh, new package. So it's still a pretty much an unknown. I don't want to say first time because we did have it last year. And Chase Briscoe holds that in distinction of winning that, but it's almost the same as a new one again this year. But we're going to take a look at some of the drivers to highlight, we're going to start with Brandon Jones in the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota Supra, age 22, from Atlanta, Georgia, born in 1997, February 18th. Enjoys woodworking, antique car restoration, metal fabrication, as well as farming. Crew chief Jeff Meandering, his partner in crime there for the team. For career highlights, he made his Xfinity Series playoff for the third time in his career this year. In 2018, he tallied a career-best finish at second at Talladega and reached the NASCAR Xfinity Series. That was for his second time, finished a career-best ninth in the standings. 
in 2017. That was when he captured his first career Xfinity Series pole, coming at Daytona in the season opener. And in 2016, he made the inaugural Xfinity Series playoff, and that was in his rookie season, uh, ultimately finishing a then-career best 10th in the standings. So we'll see if he can up that a little bit this year. He heads to Charlotte, oh. ranked ninth in the, Sorry, in I the standings. Um, just 15 points back from eighth place, Noah Gregson, in that final transfer position now as they, they're headed towards their uh, second round of cutoffs. In 27 starts this year, he's produced four top fives, 13 top tens, and an average finish of 15.0. Now, again, when we talk about the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course performance, this will be his or made his series track debut their last season with only the one race, uh, starting 22nd as well as finishing there. Okay, next up is Justin Haley, 20 years old, uh, from Winnemac, Indiana, another Midwestern driver. Uh, he drives the number 11 Colleague Racing Chevrolet Camaro, uh, and uh, he enjoys muscle car restoration, sports car racing, surfing, fishing, and hunting, triathlons, mountain biking, fitness, graphics, and design, and anything that's competitive. Uh, his crew chief this week is Alex Yance. And uh, looking at his career highlights uh, in the Xfinity Series, he's made uh, the 2019 Xfinity Series playoffs in his rookie season. Uh, he signed with Colleg Grayson in the off season uh, to run his first full season in the Xfinity Series this year. Uh, a Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate uh, this year as well. He's posted his series career best finish, which was a runner-up finish, this season at Daytona in July, and he made the NASCAR Xfinity Series debut last season uh, when he made three starts with GMS Racing, posting a best finish of 12th at Iowa Speedway. Uh, highlights this season, uh, he's ranked 11th in the playoff point standings. He's just 20 points back from 8th place Noah Gregson in the final playoff transfer spot. So in 27 starts this season, he has three top fives. He has 17 top tens. He has an average finish of 10.9. He also has one stage win and has accumulated three playoff points. Uh, This weekend, he's making his uh, series track debut at the Charlotte Roval this weekend. All right, we talked about the last year's winner. Give you some information on him. Chase Briscoe driving for the number 98 Stuart Haas Racing with Fred Biaggi Ford Mustang, born December 15, 1994, putting him 24, 24 years of age, coming out of Mitchell, Indiana. Enjoys spending time with family, online racing, and watching all sports. He's got Richard Boswell II as his crew chief. He made his career... I'm sorry, made his NASCAR Xfinity Series debut in Atlanta back in 2018. He ran 17 races last season, driving for Roush Fenway Racing for 12 races, Stuart Haas Racing with Fred Biaggi for five, and won that inaugural race here at the Charlotte Roval. Now, he's made the 2019 Xfinity Series playoffs in his rookie season, first full-time for the or first full-time season. He heads to Charlotte, ranked seventh in the playoff standing, 
17 points ahead of the round of 12 cutoff. In 27 starts, he posted one win, which came at the second race at Iowa, which Sharon and I were fortunate enough to be there for. 10 top fives, 21 top tens, and an average finish of 8.2. And he's picked up two stage wins and accumulated 12 playoff points. Obviously, at the Charlotte Roval, he is undefeated as he made his track series debut there last year, started ninth, and won the race, and led a series-high 33 laps at the road course. Putting a capital B on the big three is Christopher Bell in the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing at Toyota Supra. Uh, He is 24 from Norman, Oklahoma, and enjoys dirt track racing, iRacing, and golf. Uh, His crew chief is Jason Ratcliffe, and when we look at his Xfinity Series career highlights, he's got some amazing stats. In 2018, he set the rookie single-season Xfinity Series wins record with seven victories. The previous record before that was just five wins, and that was held by three drivers, including Craig Greg Biffle in 2001, Kyle Busch in 04, and Carl Edwards in 05. He made the Xfinity Series playoffs during his rookie season last year and advanced to the championship four, finishing fourth in the point standings. He's recorded 15 Xfinity Series wins in just 68 starts, including seven this season. He's won at Atlanta, Bristol, Dover, Iowa, New Hampshire, Road America, and Richmond. And notice those are all different types of tracks. So uh, pretty impressive. Uh, His uh, highlights for this season includes uh, heading to Charlotte as a playoff standings points leader. He has 2,115 points. He's 22 points ahead of second place Cole Custer. With his win last weekend at Richmond, he's now clinched his spot into the playoff round of eight uh, based on his victory. In 27 starts this season, he's posted four poles at ISM Raceway, Texas, Charlotte, and the second Iowa race. He has seven wins that we just mentioned, uh, and he has 18 top fives and 19 top tens. That gives him an average finish of 8.4. He has 17 stage. He's won 17 stages, and he's accumulated a whopping total of 62 playoff points. Now, uh, talking about uh, the road course at Charlotte Motor Speedway, he's made his track debut there last season, as did everyone else, uh, when he started 13th and he finished 5th. He led five laps at the road course last year. All right, as we head into Charlotte, it's going to be Ryan Truex that jumps into the junior motorsports number 8. Now, following the first race of the playoffs at Richmond last weekend, the junior motorsports number eight team is ranked 11th in the owners' playoff standings, 18 points behind their eighth-place junior motorsports teammate with the number nine in the final transfer position. Now, this weekend, Ryan Truex has been tapped to pilot that number eight Chevrolet this weekend at the Roval after Zane Smith kicked off the playoffs at Richmond with an eighth-place finish last weekend. Truex has made four starts with the number eight this season, posting one top five and three top tens. His last season, Truex drove for college racing at the Roval and started 11th and finished 16th. So he has some experience at this track. 
Okay, also racing this weekend uh, is Harrison Burton. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, Following the first race of the playoffs at Richmond last weekend, uh, that number 18 team is ranked ninth in the owner playoff standings. They're 14 points behind eighth-placed junior motorsports, uh, number nine team that holds the final playoff transfer spot. Now, back in the number 18 this weekend is Harrison Burton, who jumped into the postseason with a sixth-place run at Richmond last weekend. Burton has made just four previous starts for Joe Gibbs Racing this year, posting one top five and three top ten finishes. Uh, It will be Burton's series track debut at the Roval, and it's the first attempt at road course racing, period. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how well he does on the Roval. Well, and I know they were already there. Him and uh, Jeff Burton were there today. So we'll see how he comes out. Another one we're going to keep our eye on, though, is the road ace, A.J. Allmendinger, returning to the Oval. Aptly known for his skills on the road course, he'll return to the series to strap into that number 10 college racing Chevrolet for this weekend's festivities at Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. It will be his series track debut, although he is no stranger to the newly introduced course. He competed on the 2.32-mile track last season at the Monster Energy Cup Series race, where he started second and finished seventh. Almendinger has made four Xfinity Series starts already this season, posting one top five finish at Mid-Ohio and has led laps in three of the four races. So he's obviously going to be one to contend with this weekend. Okay, now since 1982, road courses in the Xfinity Series have produced 15 first-time series winners, including Chase Briscoe's first career win last year at Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval. Austin Sindrick also had a victory at Watkins Glen earlier this season. That was his first victory. Now, Road America stakes claim to the lion's share of Xfinity Series new winners on road courses, producing five of the 15 first-time winners, uh, including Jeremy Clements, who did it in 2017, Michael McDowell in 16, Brendan Gaughan in 14, A.J. Allmendinger in 2013, and Nelson P.K. Jr. in 2012. In this Saturday's Drive for the Cure 250, uh, they, uh, at, at the road course, there are 26 drivers entered in the field who will be looking for their very first NASCAR Xfinity Series career win. Uh, of those, 15 drivers entered this weekend are making their series track debut at Charlotte uh, and on the road course. That includes A.J. Allmendinger, Brandon Brown, Harrison Burton, Greg Galding, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Stephen Light, Tommy Joan Martins, B.J. McLeod, John Hunter Nemechek, Joe Nemechek, Preston Pardis, Will Rogers, a good road course racer, uh, Cody Ware, and Josh Williams, uh, all looking for their first Xfinity Series win. Uh, and uh, we have a list here of first-time winners on road courses. We mentioned Austin Sindrick at uh, Watkins Glen and Chase Briscoe at the Charlotte Roval. 
Uh, we also mentioned Jeremy Clements at Road America, along with Michael McDowell, Brendan Gaughan, A.J. Dinger, and Nelson P.K. Jr. But there's also Justin Marks, who did it at Mid-Ohio in 16. Chris Busher also at Mid-Ohio in 14. And then at Montreal, uh, Boris said did that in 2010 at Montreal. Uh, Marcus Ambrose got his first win at Watkins Glen in 2008. Juan Pablo Montoya at Mexico City in 2007. Denny Hamlin, believe it or not, got his first Xfinity Series win in Mexico City in 2006. Ron Fellows and Bill Elliott did it at Watkins Glen in 2000. I'm sorry, in 1998 and in 1993, respectively. Well, bringing back some uh, memories there with the dates you're going back to. Yeah, no kidding. All, all right, with the uh, this uh, this race is uh, again we're looking at the playoff bubble. There's only two races left in the round of 12, and with the close competition in the Xfinity Series, there's only one real option that guarantees the drivers currently outside that playoff cut cutoff to advance, and that's to win. Now, keep in mind, there's always the chance they could point their way in, uh, as well as a little help from those above the cut cutoff line. Take a look at a couple of those, though, that are in that position. Let's start with Joe Gibbs Racing, Brandon Jones. He announced this week he'll be returning next season to the JGR camp once again to compete for the Xfinity Series title. The currently, the up-and-coming star is ninth in the playoff standings, 15 points behind the round of eight tra- final transfer spot held by Noah Gregson. He's having a career season, posting four top fives and 13 top tens, but his playoffs did not start like he anticipated as he qualified 11th and finished there at Richmond last weekend. Now, turning to the Roval this weekend, he's looking to keep those playoff aspirations alive, but it will be a challenge. He started last season's event 22nd and finished 22nd there as well, as we mentioned. This season, he has put up the 11th best average finish, uh, 14.3 from the three previous road course stops on the 2019 Xfinity Series schedule, which has included Watkins Glen, Mid-Ohio, and Road America. Another now one is RSS. Okay, go ahead. Oh. Uh, in 10th place is Ryan Sieg from RSS Racing. Uh, he's uh, That's in the Xfinity Series point standings. He's just 19 points behind the 8th place Noah Gregson, it, who holds that final transfer spot to the next round this this year, Sieg has wheeled two top fives. He has nine top tens in his career best series performance. Uh, looking ahead to Charlotte this Saturday, he returns to the road course looking to rebound from last season when he was sidelined early in the race due to some suspension issues. He ultimately finished the event 36, not where he wants to be this year. Uh, This season, he has a 13th best average finish at 19.0 from the three previous uh, road course stops on the Xfinity Series schedule, which includes Watkins Glen, Glen, Mid-Ohio, and Road America. All right. College Racing's Justin Haley is in the 11th spot, 20 points behind eighth place. He's got a good, solid rookie season, amassing three top fives and 17 top tens. But last weekend at Richmond, he qualified 7th, but dropped to 17th for the finish. 
So now with only the two races remaining, he's got his work cut out for him, making his series track debut uh, at the Roval. On the bright side of it, he's run well on the road courses this season, posting eighth best average and 9.3 on those three stops. Okay. Now, last but not least is GMS Racing's John Hunter Nemechek, who is 12th in the points uh, playoff points. He's 21 points behind Noah Gregson in that transfer spot. And uh, Nemechek's rookie season has seen four top fives and 13 top tens. But he started 38th in playoff opener at Richmond and wrestled a 15th place finish uh, from the competition. As a result, he now faces uh, the potential for elimination from the playoffs in the next two races. And just when he thought he couldn't get much more difficult to keep his title hunt alive, he will have to make his series track debut at the Roval this weekend. Now keep in mind, if Haley and Nemechek do not advance to the next round, not only will their championship chances be dashed, but they'll also be eliminated from contention for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year title. All right, we're going to look at the top eight uh, real quick like here. Start with Cole Custer. He currently sits second in the standing, 60 points ahead of the cutoff. This year he's put up six wins, 14 top fives, 19 top tens, six poles, and led 782 laps. He was third at the in the opener last weekend at Richmond. For his uh, experience on the roller last year, he started sixth and finished seventh, and he was uh, finished it up with a runner-up finish at Dover last year to advance to the round of eight. He currently has the seventh-best average on the road courses for this year at 8.3. Okay, now Tyler Reddick uh, is in third place, 30 points, 38 points above the cutoff line. And this season, Reddick has collected five wins, 20 top fives, that's the series most, 23 top tens, again the series most, three poles, and has led 448 laps. His performance at Richmond last week was another solid run, giving him another top ten finish. Last season at the Roval, Reddick started third and finished ninth. He then followed that up with a 14th place at Dover to advance into the round of eight. This season, he has the third best average finish at 4.0, uh, from the three previous road course stops on the Xfinity Series schedule. Next is Austin Sindrick. He's fourth in the standings, 34 points ahead of the cutoff. He's been the road course ace this year, grabbing two wins at Watkins Glen in mid-Ohio, and overall has 11 top fives, 19 top tens, four poles, and led 97 laps. And last weekend he won the pole in a runner-up finish to Christopher Bell to start the playoffs. Last year at the Roval, he started from the pole and finished third and backed it up with an eighth-place finish at Dover to advance to the round of eight. Talked about his two wins on the road courses, gives him the best average of 1.3 on the three stops this year. Okay, Justin Algauer in fifth place is 20 points ahead, 21 points ahead of the cutoff. And uh, he's looking for his first win this season. He's managed to get 12 top fives, 19 top tens. He's led 455 laps. Plus, last weekend he started second and finished fourth in the opener at Richmond. Now, last season at the Roval, he started 12th. He finished 15th. But he bounced 
back with that third-place finish at Dover the following weekend, and that's what advanced him to the round of eight. This season, he has a fourth-best average finish at 6.0 from the three previous road course stops on the Xfinity Series schedule. He also leads all active drivers in Xfinity Series road course wins with three victories. All right, Michael Annette is six, 18 points ahead of that cutoff line. He's accumulated one win, five top fives, 16 top tens, and one pull with 90 laps led. Last weekend, he started 10th and finished 9th for the series uh, playoffs opener. Last year's round of 12 were a challenge for him, even though he wasn't in the playoffs. He finished 14th at Richmond, 20th at the Roval, and 12th at Dover. He has the 10th best average at 11.0 on road courses this year. Okay, now Chase Briscoe heads into Charlotte ranked seventh. He's just 17 points ahead of the cutoff line. Uh, This season, uh, Briscoe did have a win. He has 10 top fives, he has 21 top tens, and he's led 44 laps. On top of all of that, last weekend he started and finished fifth in the opener at Richmond. Now, Briscoe returns to the Roval as the defending winner, hoping for another victory to carry him into the next round of the playoffs. A solid finish this weekend is crucial to Briscoe's postseason title hunt, as last season he struggled in the Dover playoff race, where he finished 19th. This season he has the sixth-best average finish at 6.7 from the three previous road course races this year. Plus, he's just one of six active Xfinity Series road course winners entered this weekend. Now, Noah Gregson, we've mentioned a couple times, he's feeling the playoff heat uh, as he's the eighth and final transfer spot right now, 15 points ahead of the cutoff, which is ninth place Brandon Jones. His rookie campaign has yet to take him to victory lane, but he has managed seven top fives, 18 top tens, and led 62 laps. Started off the playoffs with an eighth-place start and seventh-place finish at the opener at Richmond. This will be his series track debut at the Roval. For the season, he put up the fifth-best average on road courses at 6.0. Okay. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell rocketed to the top of his point standings last week with his win uh, at Richmond Raceway, bringing his season total to seven checkered flags. Only eight drivers will move on to that next round with Bell now locked in on wins. Only seven spots are left open as we head into Charlotte this weekend. Now, um, uh, here are some of the clinch scenarios for the second race. Uh, as we all know, each of the drivers in the playoffs can clinch their spot into the round of eight by winning at Charlotte. Cole Custer second and Tyler Reddick third, Austin Sinton fourth, Justin Algauer fifth, and that sixth could also clinch into the next round on points uh, by being just 60 points ahead of ninth place. Chase Briscoe in that seventh place spot could also clinch on points with a repeat winner or a win by Custer, Ruddick, Sindrick, Algauer, or Annette with some help. Now, Nor Gregson in eighth, Brandon Jones in ninth, Ryan Segan tenth, and Justin Haley in eleventh, John Nemanicek in twelfth can only clinch a spot into that next round with a win. They cannot get in by points this weekend at 
Charlotte. All right, they're going to wrap up our Xfinity Series coverage. Yeah, because we're over time now. Uh, we've already talked about the fact that we're going to the Charlotte Roval, and uh, again, that Justin Agar has the most wins there. So uh, let's move on to the uh, Cup Series. They are racing the Bank of America Roval 400 this weekend at Charlotte on the Roval course. Uh, that's Sunday, September the 29th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the NBC uh, network will cover pre-race coverage at 1.30 p.m. and radio coverage on PRN and Cirrus XM NASCAR radio. Now, they'll cover a distance of 248.52 miles over 109 laps. Stage 1 will end on lap 25, stage 2 on lap 50, and the last stage always ends on the last lap. Last year's winner was Ryan Blaney. Taking a look at some of the drivers to highlight on the Cup Series, we'll start with Brad Keselowski, age 35, out of Rochester Hills, Michigan, hitting his stride as we start the playoffs. Fourth in the championship, three victories already on the series, with an impressive 11 top fives and 16 top tens. He's finished in the top five in four of the last five races. The road courses haven't been his specialty statistically. He started 25th and finished 31st at the Roval last year, a contender that was collected in the late race collision six laps before the checkered flag. But the number two Penske Ford hasn't won at either of the series' other road courses, uh, Sonoma or Watkins Glen. Three times uh, from 2011 to 13, he finished runner-up at the Glen, his best work over at Sonoma is third in 2016. Okay, now Kyle Larson seems to be peaking at just the right time on the schedule. He has seven top ten finishes in the last eight races, uh, and he's leading laps in five of those races. His best showings this year were runner-up finishes at Chicago and Darlington. He's ranked eighth in the championship, the highest he's been in the standings since March. Now, the driver in the number 42 for Chip Ganassi Racing has become fond of road course racing. He's led 47 laps on the Charlotte Roval last year, but he was caught up in a big late race accident that knocked out 14 contenders and uh, making him finish 25th. He's won the pole position in the last three Sonoma races and finished a career-best 10th there just this last June. He has three top 10 finishes in six Watkins Glen road course races, including back-to-back efforts of sixth place last year and eighth place this year. A 41-year-old Las Vegas native Kurt Busch needs to have a strong showing at the Roval this weekend. He's currently ranked 15th among the 16th playoffs drivers, 14, 14 points behind 12th place William Byron. He won at Kentucky earlier this summer. Driver of the number one Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet has finished in the top 10 in half of the races this year, 14 out of the 28, but hasn't had one in the last three events, from the regular season finale at Indianapolis to last weekend's second playoff race. He was encur- or can be encouraged by a fifth-place finish in last year's inaugural Roval event, He's also won at Sonoma in 2011 and 10 top 10s in 19 starts at the Watkins Road Course, Watkins Glen Road Course, including six in the last seven races. Okay, now Chase Elliott is ranked a solid seventh in the Cup Series standings following a 13th place run at Richmond 
and he has five top ten finishes in the last seven races, including a victory at Watkins Glen. The driver of the number nine for Hendrick Motorsports started fourth and finished sixth in the Roval debut, but brings plenty of solid road course achievement to the event this weekend. He's won the last two Watkins Glen races. He won from the pole position this summer, including last year's work, and has led 132 of 180 laps at the Glen. In the last two summers, Elliott has a pair of top tens in four Sonoma road course starts, but has finished a career worst 37th there this June. His Chevrolet suffering an engine problem uh, causing that finish. The other one of the Bush brothers won the regular season championship, but scored his first top ten in three weeks at Richmond Raceway Saturday night. Runner-up finish to teammate Martin Truex, Jr. He led a race best 202 laps. However, the strong statement is that he intends to contend for his second Monster Energy Cup Series title. He moved from fourth to third in the championship, now 24 points behind Truex, who won the first two playoff races, but and didn't allow or allowed him to clinch a spot into the next round based on points. He's traditionally been strong in the road course style of competition, as we'll see this weekend. He has a pair of wins at both Cup Circuits, longtime venues, Sonoma and Watkins Glen. He finished seventh or better in the last five Sonoma races and top ten in five of the last six races at the Glen. Bush was also caught up in the multi-car accident at the end of last year's row, while finishing 32nd without leading a lap. Okay, Clint Boyer uh, goes into the final race of the playoffs uh, of the opening playoff round, ranked 14th out of the 16 drivers, but only 14 points. Did I skip Eric Almorola? Let me go back to I'll Eric. Get him. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, 14 points behind 12th place William Byron. The top 12 drivers following this weekend's Roval event are the ones that will advance to that next round of the playoffs. Boyer uh, has to be feeling optimistic about making up ground. The driver of the 14 for Stuart Hawes Racing finished in the top ten in four of his last five races, including an eighth place at Richmond. He has 13 top tens in the season with a best showing of runner-up at Texas in April, and four of his top ten showings have been on upcoming playoff tracks. Now, he was also third in the inaugural Roval race last year, and has a Monster Energy Road Course victory at Sonoma in 2012. So we'll go back to Eric Almarola now. All right. He's uh, in a tight spot, 11th in the playoff standings, a mere three points to the good of 13th place Alex Bowman. In a strong season start, six top ten finishes in the opening seven races, but cooled a bit. He scored his season best, finished fourth at Phoenix during that opening run, but his last top ten was 11 races ago, a seventh place in the summer Daytona race. Should he advance, he has already turned in strong showings at four of the remaining eight playoff tracks, top tens at Phoenix, Martinsville, Texas, and Talladega. And Talladega, is, he's the defending playoff winner. This week's Roval venue, uh, test for sure, he finished 19th in the inaugural race last year and only has a pair of top tens, both at Sonoma, in a combined 17 career races at the Sonoma and Watkins Glen road course venues. Okay, now here's a competition uh, update. Uh, Statistically, 2019 has been a highlight reel for the Cup Series. 
Despite Martin Truex Jr.'s rather convincing win last week at Richmond, the margin of victory on the season averages 1.649 seconds. And in 15 of 28 races so far, it's been less than a second. The average number of race leaders has been 8.89, the most since 2014, uh, which was at 9.75. Lead changes per race, 17.43, through the opening 28 races is the most since 2015, when it was 17.79. Green flag player passes are up at 38.1% from last year, and green flag passes for the lead are up 64.3% in 18 of 28 races, including all 1.5-mile tracks. In fact, new records were set at six events at Las Vegas, the first race, Kansas first race, Bristol's first race, Chicago, Kentucky, and Indianapolis. Five of the last six races, uh, the mark for green flag passes was better than the 10-year average. So that's pretty impressive. All right. Obviously, the playoff drivers are going to get uh, coverage, but we're going to take a look at the best of the rest. Daniel Suarez continues to pace for the drivers not in the playoffs. He's ranked 17th with a 30-point advantage, 34-point advantage over seven-time Montreal G Cup Series Jimmy Johnson in 18th, and they've separated themselves from the rest of the field as Johnson is 58 points up on Paul Menard in 19th. Their outings at the Roval last year were obviously famously divergent. Johnson played a critical role in the final outcome, colliding with race leader Martin Truex on the final set of turns coming to the checkered flag. Ryan Blaney was unable to get around both drivers and pick up that win. Johnson recovered to finish eighth, ultimately three points away from moving on in the next round of the playoffs. Suarez finished 21st. Of the two drivers between Suarez and Johnson, Johnson is the only one with a Monster Energy Cup Series road course victory. That was 2010 at Sonoma. He was 12th at the California race this year. Driver then number 48, Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet, is still winless at Watkins Glen, where he has eight top tens in 18 starts and 19th this summer. His last top ten at the Glen was a 10th place finish in 2015. Now Suarez, driver of the number 41 Stuart Haas Racing Ford, certainly has performed well on the road courses. The third-year Monster NG Cup Series driver has now two top five finishes at Watkins Glen, including a best of third in 2017. He finished 17th there this year, but he does not have any top tens at Sonoma, his best work being 15th there in 2018. Okay, now four drivers are in the hot seat of uncertainty. Uh, They are ranked 13th through 16th, and in order they are Alex Bowman, Clint Boyer, Kurt Busch, and Eric Jones. Only 12 drivers move on. These are the drivers that right now are below that cutoff line. Uh, Bowman trails his teammate at Hendrick Motorsports, William Byron, who sits in that transfer spot of 12th place. By only two points, Boyer is four points off Byron, and Bush is 14 points behind. These three drivers all finished in the top five last year at the Robles uh, inaugural event. Boyer finished third, Bowman fourth, and Kurt Busch fifth. Jones is 16th after his number 20, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, failed the tech inspection at Richmond after the race, dropping him from a fourth-place finish 
to last in the field. He's now 45 points behind Byron, uh, and he needs a victory on Sunday in order to advance. Of these four drivers at the bottom, uh, only the veterans, Stuart Haas Racing, Boyer, and Chip Ganassi's Kurt Busch have previous wins at the Monster Energy Road Course. Busch won at Sonoma, California in 2011, and Boyer won the next year. Now, the standings are so close right now that 10th place Ryan Blaney, the defending winner of this race last year, has only eight-point buffer on 13th place Bowman. Eric Almirola is in 11th place, and he's just three points up from Bowman. So these guys are going to be racing their hearts out this weekend. Uh, they both certainly are. Uh, let's take a look at Kyle Busch. talked about him. Uh, bounced back to advance to the round of 12. Picking up the regular season championship, his four-race win, he left little doubt that he was ready to return to his race-contending ways. He led a race-best 202 of the 400 laps at Richmond, finishing runner-up to Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Martin Truex, and that put him in a position to move on based on points. He's now third, 27 points behind Truex. It was a timely turnaround for the championship favorite, who had suffered rare back-to-back disappointments, a 37th-place finish in the regular season finale at Indianapolis due to engine problems, and then a 19th-place finish in the playoff opener at Las Vegas, where he had dropped to fourth in the standing. So last week's work at Richmond wasn't just encouraging. It was a reminder of what he's capable of. Now, he, Truex, and Stuart Haas' racing is Kevin Harvick, second in the playoffs, all locked their positions into the round of 12, which will begin next week at Dover, Delaware. Last year at the Robo, again, Kurt Busch was caught up in the 14th car race incident, finished 32nd on the day. But the longtime Monster Energy Cup Series on road courses is much more encouraging for the 2015 champion. He has two wins at each Sonoma and Watkins Glen, in fact, sweeping the races in 2008 and winning again at the Glen in 2013, and his second win at the Sonoma came in 2015. He has an impressive 12 top 10 finishes and 15 starts at the Glen, and finished seventh or better in the last five races at Sonoma, and five top fives and seven top tens on that course. Okay, now I'm going to uh, summarize these next topics because we're starting to run out of time. Uh, Newman is up to his typical playoff tricks because... Last week, his seventh-place place finish at Richmond, he said, is his best performance of the season without a doubt. So Newman typically uh, just barely makes it into the playoffs, and then he traditionally does well during the playoffs to put himself into that championship four when it's all said and done. We'll see if he can do that this year. Uh, and we'll see how that works out for him. Uh, Harvick also is continuing to shine and uh, coming up with some good finishes at a good time in the playoffs. Uh, He scored uh, top tens in the opening two playoff races. He finished runner-up to Martin Truex at Las Vegas and seventh last week at Richmond. And uh, I look for him to really – uh, have a pretty good run here in the playoffs as well, putting himself into championship four contention. Uh, he started 19th at the Roval last year uh, and finished ninth. Uh, so that would be interesting if he can better that uh, this weekend. 
Uh, next up is Blaney, the defending winner at uh, the Roval. And uh, Blaney actually led 15 laps earlier in the race. He was a front runner most of the afternoon. Uh, and uh, he'd love to make that a back-to-back win at the Roval again this weekend. He's been pretty competitive on the road courses this season. He finished third at Sonoma, fifth at Watkins Glen, and uh, both career best in his fourth year in the Cup Series. So look for Blaney to go after defending that uh, top ground or that uh, defending winning spot uh, this week. Uh, now, Truex wants to sweep the opening round. He's won the first two races of the playoffs. Uh, he'd love nothing more than the win at the Roval this weekend, and he's had some pretty good runs on the road courses as well. So with that, we're getting close to the top of the hour here. Um, do we have any picks in yet for the uh, Cup Series? Uh, actually, Andy just came in with his. James kicked us off there for the Cup Series with Kyle Larson. And you're not going to want to hear this, but Andy just chimed in with Martin Truex. So uh, <laughs> we got to wait for, for Sam now, and then you and I are the final two here on the Cup side. Okay. It's going to be a tough pick uh, out here on the Roval. Uh, I've got a feeling I know who you're going to pick uh, this weekend. Um, but yeah, it's uh, going to be, huh? I was going to say you're, you're doing better than me. Cause honestly, this was one that I was just going to wait to see who goes first and then go. Cause it, you know, with only, I mean, we talked a lot about the road, road course statistics, but we know that this Roval is a little bit different. We saw what a wild card it was last year. Uh, this year's going to be no different. I don't think. Yeah, that's true. It was a really big wild card. I remember uh, that chicane really uh, produced some action. They did make that change to the chicane, which should uh, change some of that a little bit. Uh, but the other good news is that um, the other good news is that uh, is <laughs> is that. Um, uh, these guys have one year of experience on that track, and they're going to bring that experience with them this weekend. and And it's going to be it's going to be an exciting race, without a doubt. So that that's for sure. I mean, and that's one of the things that I think of Martin Marcus Smith there and brought to that track in, in creating this roval. I know I was one that was kind of hesitant about it about manufacturing a road course, uh, but it certainly delivered with some excitement. It being in the playoffs, being a cutoff uh, race for this round, uh, just adds to that excitement, and that's what we wanted to see. Yes, indeed. We are now at the top of the hour, and uh, it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Up. I'm not even sure where to begin. There's been so much news uh, this weekend. Uh, let's start with Chris, the Christopher Bell story. Uh, that he is uh, taking the seat of the number 95 for Levine Family Racing uh, with some enhanced uh, affiliation with Joe Gibbs Racing. Well, and I don't know that we can call that breaking news. I know they did at the time, but it really was uh, one of the worst-kept secrets throughout the NASCAR garage (laughs) uh, over the course of the summer. I mean, everybody knew it. It just couldn't be announced or acknowledged yet. So. Uh, I know there was some question of which car he would go to, but 
especially after Eric Jones re-signed for the number 20. I mean, it was all but written in stone at that point. There there are some couple interesting things I do take from it, though. It was announced with that that Jason Ratcliffe will be moving with Christopher Bell from the Xfinity Series up to the cup level um, as his crew chief, which puts Mike Wheeler into, I believe, competition director, if I'm not mistaken, at Levine Family Racing. And that part of it is what kind of intrigued me. And there's two two different aspects and sides to it. Um, I know that we talk about the chemistry between a driver and a crew chief, so obviously that's what Christopher Bell has had with uh, Jason Ratcliffe over the past couple of years in the Xfinity Series. However, on the other side, we've seen what Mike Wheeler has come over and done with that Levine family racing in just one year after coming uh, from Denny Hamlin's number 11 team. So seeing Mm -hmm. him come off the crew chief box is also kind of, uh, my initial thought was questionable. Um, But I also see the uh, intelligence of putting him in a competition uh, director position at Levine family racing, especially with that increased support from, Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota as he has been with the the Toyota team and family for so long and has that connection to Joe Gibbs Racing. So I think in the long run, hopefully it all works out good. Yeah, I think it will. Uh, The enhanced uh, uh, Toyota Racing development uh, confirmed uh, that the relationship with uh, Levine Family Racing includes enhanced hardware, key communication, and sharing of information uh, as the organization more fully aligns with the championship Go Gi- Joe Gibbs racing team. So that's going to be very similar to what happened at Furniture Row Racing with Eric Jones when he took over that second car at Furniture Row Racing. Now, uh, I think this is uh, probably going to be, uh, I think, a very interesting storyline to follow in the 2020 season uh, to see how well uh, Christopher Bell can do in that number 95 car for Levine Family Racing. This is certainly going to up their game, uh, if you will. And, uh, you know, the fact that uh, they've got the enhanced affiliation not only with Joe Gibbs Racing but with Toyota Racing Development as well, uh, I think goes well. Uh, for that organization as well as for Christopher Bell taking over that 95 car. It's too bad they couldn't have done that with uh, with uh, Matt DiBenedetto. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, I think. Uh, I know he doesn't have near the record that Christopher Bell has, and obviously Christopher Bell has such an impressive record uh, that these guys are doing everything they can to make sure he stays within the Joe Gibbs Racing Stable. But along with that news came the news that uh, Paul Menard is retiring uh, this year and has no plans to go into a broadcasting seat, uh, and uh, he'll be leaving that number 21 Wood Brothers Racing Ford, which opens the door for Matt Benedetto to step into that seat next year of uh, 2020. Uh, I think this is going to be a good move for Matt Benedetto. Uh, we've seen uh, drivers do well in the, the Wood Brothers uh, racing Fords, and uh, I think he's going to. I think this is going to be a reciprocal, uh, positive relationship for Matt Benedetto and for the Woods Brothers Racing Organization. 
I do. I agree with you 100% there, and I'm very happy to see that. I know Matt's gone through some things the last couple of years and always still just showed such a positive uh, of attitude in the way he carried himself. So I, I do like that move. Um, the one thing there, you kind of alluded to it, though. to me there's a little bit of a slap in the face, not only to a driver, but also a team, if you will, <laughs> at, yeah. in Levine Family Racing. Of Where was that support last year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, I understand they're behind Christopher Bell as they well should be. I, he has a, such a proven talent. I get that. But this team had a an alliance already with Joe Gibbs Racing last year. Where was that support then with Matt DiBenedetto as the driver, who, again, we look at what he accomplished. That's why he got such a ride, such as the Wood Brothers, is what he did with that team with what limited resources he had. Um, now, obviously, yeah. the Line Family Racing with this increased relationship it should benefit them but i also like i said have to would almost feel like kind of a a sting of why didn't you help us last year well and matt benedetto's got to feel that sting the most uh you know he 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 would have loved to have stayed within joe gibbs racing organization but you know being kicked out the door for for uh uh christopher bell uh and i know he's leaving uh, you know, at least on the surface, he's leaving in good terms from Levine Family Racing, and he probably has a good relationship with them. But if I were him, I'd be a little bit ticked off with Joe Gibbs Racing for coming up with Too Little Too Late uh, to help his career uh, within that organization. Uh, and, yeah, we all get it. We know that Christopher Bell is the next big phenomenal driver uh, that's coming up through the ranks. But uh, you can't say that Matt DiBenedetto hasn't shown he has potential for greatness as well. And with that enhanced support, we may have seen more from him this season. So, yeah, I I would think there's a little bit of a sting there. Well, and and an interesting thing when this broke, and I think this came out uh, already on Tuesday, uh, listening to Dave Moody on Sirius XM Speedway, as I always do, an interesting point got brought up by a caller of isn't that essentially what not destroyed furniture road racing, but led to their eventual closing the doors was that increased uh, relationship cost them too much. Now, Bob Levine kind of addressed that as he came on and spoke with uh, Dave Moody of, you know, he thinks he's in a little bit better position with, sponsorship and other partners that are going to help offset that whereas um and i'm drawing a blank on furniture rows help me out furniture row racing's owner uh barney visor visor there we go yeah thank you uh barney visor yes um whereas he was doing a lot of it out of his own pocket and he said that that he had done that in the past and and just couldn't do it anymore and wouldn't you know his health obviously came into play as well but we know that he was up until the very end looking for some more sponsors so he could continue if possible. But that mm-hmm. question of, of what does that partnership or elevated support cost, you know, could actually drive a, a single team like that out of business. So, I mean, we've seen it, and they were a championship team. So, uh, like I said, it was kind of an interesting aspect to it from that caller that I hadn't thought about of, you know, you got to be careful because it, it could cost you more than it earns you. Well, not only that, but what happens when Chris Bell, Christopher Bell moves into Joe Gibbs Racing? Because eventually we all know that's going to happen. 
when there's a retirement there or someone leaves that organization, uh, does that enhanced uh, uh, support all of a sudden disappear when that happens? And then what happens, again, to Levine Family Racing? Uh, Do they get left high and dry? Uh, So I hope they're going into this with eyes wide open and uh, we don't see history repeating itself uh, in this situation. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a head-scratcher in some respects. Yeah, we all saw it coming. We all knew uh, that it was coming. We all knew it would happen in the way in which it happened. Uh, But at the same time, uh, looking at the history of this, uh, it does leave you with some questions as well. Well, and my hope in, in the scenario you brought up there, and my hope was we've seen and talked about it already in the Can-Am West all the way down, that Toyota Racing Development pro, driver program. There are some other drivers. Yeah, we talked about strong. Brandon Jones re-signing in the Xfinity Series with Joe Gibbs. So say in two years Christopher Bell moves under the, the four Joe Gibbs Racing uh, stable, you know that opens that seat then for Brandon Jones or another driver that's coming through uh, Harrison Burton is one that's that's coming up as well. Um, mm-hmm. So you would hope that that would continue and that they will continue to give that additional support to whatever driver comes in next. But, again, all that, I guess, to me does kind of add to, like you said, this thing to Matt Benedetto, hopefully. And knowing him in the, the few times we've had the opportunity to talk to him, I, I'm sure that mm-hmm. he is one that has just, I mean, even if it is bothersome to him, put it behind him and, and is moving on. And, and you know, forward. like I said, I think yep. he's in a good spot with the Wood Brothers racing. Well, and he's a, in a good spot mentally as well uh, because he doesn't let these kind of things get to him. He just keeps his focus on the things that are going to help keep him moving forward versus the things that are going to take zap energy uh, from him doing that. So uh, Matt Benedetto has a good head on his shoulders. He's going to deal with it. And I give him kudos for that uh, because uh, that's exactly what he needs to do in order to keep pushing his uh, career forward. And he's done a great job of it up to this point. I look for him to continue to do a good job of that moving forward as well. So the other news that came out this week, Jay, is that um, uh, Ricky Stenhouse is going to part ways with Roush Fenway Racing and in his place is going to be Chris Busher uh, coming back to the uh, Ross Fenway Racing Organization in that number 17. Well, and I, and I found this one funny. Again, uh, I had uh, talked with Andy as the, as the news broke um, early in the morning, but again, listening to Sirius XM Speedway, Dave Moody made the statement that, you know, it caught him off guard, but as more of the story came out, he said he didn't feel so bad it caught him off guard because apparently it caught team owners and one of the drivers off guard as well. So this was a oh my really quick, quick, quick developing situation um, in a matter of 48 hours, the way it sounds, um, and caught mm-hmm. everybody really off guard. <laughs> yeah, that was a kept pretty tight-lipped for sure, uh, as was the Menard <laughs> uh, resignation or, you know, the fact that he decided to – uh, retire, I, not a resignation, but a retirement. Uh, that was kept pretty secret as well. Uh, and as you know, that's pretty tough to do with NASCAR. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. 
uh, not pretty cool, but pretty interesting is what I meant to say, uh, that that was kept under such wraps. And, and you know, they obviously had a timeline for how they wanted this to roll out. Uh, but, yeah, they did not give people much time to kind of uh, absorb that information and uh, kind of digest it. Uh, before it went out public to everybody, so that that's pretty interesting as well. But Chris Buescher, uh I think, has had a really phenomenal season with a team that doesn't have the same kind of resources, and uh, I, I think this is a good move for Chris Buescher, although it's very unfortunate for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. There, there is so many layers, and, and I know we go off here in 17 minutes, and, and we continue to talk after that. I think we could continue for hours on this. Oh, I mean, yeah, there are so many coming up here. different layers to this one, though, when you look at it. You start with Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, you know, is this, a, is this a good and positive move for, for them? And, and you go back through, and I, I want to say it was 2006, 16, if I, if I remember everything I read correctly, um, they still actually had a retainer that Chris Busher was on loan to JTG Dotary to start with mm-hmm. when he moved over there. Um, started mm-hmm. actually one year with Front Row, then with JTG Dotary, and he did re-sign with JTG Dotary, but that apparently Roush still held a retainer uh, to call in, I guess, when he deemed necessary, deemed necessary or a fit. You know, now the question mm-hmm. is, is why now? And there again, the breakdown of that, we know last year they brought in Matt Kenseth at the end of the year to, to evaluate their team and their cars. We saw some improvement there. You brought in Ryan Newman this year with the same cars and opportunity that Ricky Stenhouse had. Newman came mm-hmm. in, made the playoffs. Stenhouse did not. So when you look at it from that aspect, you can't say it's all that shocking, but – uh, on the other hand, it still kind of is. I mean, uh, Stenhouse has a couple of wins, um, has shown the, the capability as a top driver, as has Chris Buescher, uh, like you said, uh, overachieving mm-hmm. a little bit maybe, if you will, with that team. Um, so you, you hope for the best. I, I think it's kind of a positive move but, in a lot of aspects for everybody, but there also are some some questions and negativity attached to it as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, what do you think are Stenhouse's chances for finding a ride? It, we've we've been saying there's no room at the end for some of these new guys coming in. What about the <laughs> guys that have been around for a little while uh, looking for a ride? Well, and that uh, is kind of it was down my list, but uh, there is certainly opportunities available. I mean, just one off the top of the head, obviously, JTG Joder needs a driver, and they're looking for mm-hmm. a veteran, being that they have Ryan Priest in the fold um, as, mm-hmm. a, as a rookie this year, so not exactly ready to necessarily step up and be the team leader. And especially on a team like that, that is trying to build their program, you know, having a couple of rookies or younger drivers isn't necessarily the best way. And I listened to Brad Daughtery's interview on SiriusXM as well, that they, they are kind of looking towards a veteran. I did a tweet out earlier. I think Ross Chastain fits that pretty good, but that's just my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, so Stenhouse has to at least be on the list of consideration. Another one we've talked about we don't know yet is the, the seat at Front Row Motorsports where David Reagan is vacating. 
Um, mm-hmm. That would be a matter of what fits Ricky Stenhouse. Uh, I think he's got right. plenty of options, whether it be go back to the Xfinity Series or the trucks. He's a dirt track racer. He runs uh, some sprint car and midget races. If that's the route he chooses to go, such as Casey Kane did. So I, th- I think that's going to be a key element of, of what it is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. decides and wants to do. I think it would be great to see him back in the truck series, to be honest with you. I would love to see Ricky Stenhouse uh, be one of the veterans there in that series. I think he'd be uh, quite a contender there. I, th- I think overall, when you talk about this, about drivers, uh, whether or not it's a step up or, you know, um, an improvement in their program. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I look at when you look at it, if you break it down, we talk about Chris Buescher. If they have a 20th place car, he brings it home 20th, if not possibly 15th. Doesn't destroy right. a lot of race cars. Stenhouse is one of those that over even over the years, we've seen some drivers go through it and have to change. I think Ricky Stenhouse is one of those that has a tendency to take a, top five car and finish 20th or so with it (laughs) exactly you know i mean and we've talked about tyler reddick being that way we've talked about noah gregson being that way so we've seen drivers go through that and make that change i don't think stenhouse is ever and i know going back to his his years uh to include the championship run in the xfinity series that roush actually set him out a few races he said hey you're tearing up cars i can't afford this um, so we saw him settle down some, and again, he's picked up some victories. But we also see him, especially at the super speedways, as the guy that kind of initiated some of the incidences of being a little too aggressive. Again, if if your car is a fifth-place car, at least get fifth out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And that could hurt him in the long run as far as getting another ride uh, coming up here because he is one that doesn't always respect the equipment uh, that he drives. And that only goes so far with a lot of these team owners when they have to keep investing money in the car, uh, sometimes unnecessarily. Um, Okay. Anything more that you wanted to mention there? Uh, Like I said, I I could go on and on in in that aspect from those two different teams. And then, again, what JTG needs to look at. Like I said, I kind of gave my opinion on Ross Chastain fitting well in there. you know, and again, I know there's a couple that would be rookies, if you will, coming up to the Cup Series, but I think there are a couple in the Xfinity that could come up. And I understand their position, and I know just specifically talking about Ricky Stenhouse, that they look for a driver that, again, is at least going to maintain where the car is at and not tear up their car. So I think that's something mm-hmm. they're going to look heavily at which I think, again, leads to a Ross Chastain. <laughs> yeah, versus a, a Stenhouse Jr. Uh, I do kind of want to move on here because this next topic I think is going to be a doozy as well. Um, uh, the cause, you, if you remember at Las Vegas in the uh, Gander Outdoor Truck Series, there were multiple engine failures, uh, specifically uh, Thor Sport Racing, Almost all of their team members had some sort of an issue. Uh, And NASCAR and Ilmore Engineering announced on Thursday the results of their investigation into the multiple engine failures that took place 
at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Now, there were five trucks, including three from Thorsport Racing, that suffered engine failures during the race. There was Thorsport's Grant Infinger, the regular season champion. Uh, Johnny Sauter also eliminated from the playoffs. Both of those drivers were eliminated from the playoffs because of those engine failures. There was also Matt Crafton, who also had an engine failure, but based on his points, he was able to stay into the second round uh, that starts at uh, Talladega in in October. Now, the engine was introduced to the truck series before the 2018 season as a cost-effective alternative to engines developed by teams and manufacturers. It's used by most of the teams within the, the truck series, just to give you a little bit of a background uh, on that. Now, Paul Ray uh, is a, uh, one of the uh, people from the Elmore Engineering, uh, and he says that they're committed to the partnership with NASCAR and to the long-term development of the NT1 engine. To that end, following the issues experienced by a number of different teams and competitors, during the September 13th race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, engines were returned to the NASCAR R&D Center for technical inspection and data review. The combination of the high engine load condition combined with the extreme weather conditions in Las Vegas resulted in some engines suffering severe detonation. Now, Elmore is taking new measures in engine calibration to ensure that that situation is corrected for all future races. They go on to say, we deeply regret the impact that the engine issues created for the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series partners, and we requested every engine that raced at Las Vegas to be returned to our technical facility in Plymouth, Michigan. All engines will be disassembled and inspected by a highly experienced team, and any damage as a result of the Las Vegas event will be corrected and the engine returned to the race teams as soon as required. Now, um, NASCAR is saying that they commend Elmore Engineering uh, for their thorough review and forthright way that they've claimed ownership of the engine issues suffered by the teams during that race. But the NT1 engine uh, has played a vital role in the health of the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series and has been evident in tremendous competition that they've seen all season. We're confident that they'll continue in the years ahead. Now, um, right after the race, I know Grant Infinger said it was a shame that our season hopes came down to the quality control of a spec part that had nothing to do with, that they had nothing to do with, and I definitely share our owner's frustration with the part. Now, Sauter's team tried to repair the issue, got him back on track, but he didn't even complete a full lap before the engine let go for good and he was out of the race. Those are two drivers that were eliminated uh, because of that engine failure, and Sauter told FS1 it's just disappointing that our season comes down to that. This is a fresh engine. Obviously, something's wrong with it. It's just a shame, but if something happens and it's out of your control, what are you going to do? So my question is, don't you think NASCAR should do something about that? Because um, I, I, it's not 
this is obviously something out of the norm, uh, not within the team's control, that affected their playoff contention ability. Well, um, I think when you first look at it, though, you have to look at it as a whole of how many races have the NTI engines run, how many problems have they had. And the fact that they did bring the engines back, looked at it, and they said this was on us or, you know, it was a problem with what we did, and they are fixing it. You know, you hate to see it, obviously, and especially for those teams in the playoffs, put them in such a bad position and, and unfortunately out of the playoffs for, for two of them. But the fact that they're, they're stepping up and they're saying, yeah, that was on us, we're going to fix it. Um, I don't think you can put it as a, as a negative as a whole because, like I said, how many races have, have that engine run um, with no problems? Uh, I, I view it the kind of the same as Goodyear. On a, on a regular basis, Goodyear brings a good tire to the track. They, they put in a lot of work and diligence into getting the right combination for each track. They occasionally have a misstep and, and bring a wrong setup or have a tire that, that shows failure for some reason or another but they go back and they fix it. So, uh, like I said, I know that doesn't fix, obviously, these two drivers' playoffs uh, situation. Um, no, and it, it does not. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. I, you know, I don't know what else to say there, but um, well, I'm with, I'm with NASCAR. Think... The fact that – Go ahead. I, I just I, – I, I'm with NASCAR that the fact that they owned it, you know, they said, yes, that was something on us. We'll take the engines back. We'll fix them, and again address the situation so it doesn't happen again. It is a great thing. Okay, but why not give Grant Infinger and Johnny Sauter another chance uh, by entering them into the next round, and instead of eliminating two drivers, eliminate four drivers in that next round. Give these guys a second chance because this was not of their own doing. This was simply a parts failure on the part of the Elmore engineering. And, you know, don't you think it's, I don't know, to say that the weather had a factor on that seems a little bizarre to me. <laughs> how many, how many other, how many others though that were there at that same race had the NTI engine that it didn't happen? I mean, that, that could be with anything. Anytime there is any kind of failure when an engine blows up, whether it be, uh, I know with it being a, the um, well, great engine, if you will, or failures that weren't in the playoff contention. These guys were in playoff contention. I, I understand that, but I mean that's part of racing. Whether you know, I mean, it, I, I understand what you're saying, being that it was outside their control. But it's no no different than okay, say uh, I hate to pick anybody, but a driver that is not in the playoffs spins out, you run into him. It wasn't of your fault. You know, it affects your mm-hmm. playoffs, but it wasn't of your fault. You know, I mean, how, how do you draw that line of exception then in, in allowing somebody to move on, I guess is what I'm saying, because that's, that's part of racing. I mean, how many times are things not of a driver's own fault that, that happened? <laughs> <In> Talladega. <Yeah. laughs> this just seems to be a parts issue on the vehicle itself. It's not another driver. It's not, it's not a tire blowing this is this is uh, an engine failure. I, I do need to make our announcement at this point, though, and then we'll continue. Uh, we're coming up on the oh, 10:30 wow. mark. Pardon me. 
I know, wow, I didn't realize it was that later. That <laughs> that's why I wanted to get that in before we got too far along there. Um, we're at, almost at that 1030 mark where we are going to go off the air, but do know that we do continue recording the rest of our conversation on these hot topics. They, excuse me, fans can listen to the rest of that conversation on our podcast via all of the links that we've already published on on social media as well as at bamboracing.com on the player that we have available there. Uh, now, uh, all you have to do if you've listened up to this point is when the podcast becomes available, just fast forward to that two-hour mark, and then that's where you'll hear the rest of the conversation uh, beyond the 1030 mark here. Uh, and if you're listening on the podcast, it's going to be pretty seamless. So uh, we just want to make sure fans are aware that that's going to happen at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So with that, if you had more to say, go ahead, Jay. Um, well, with what, like you said, I mean, I understand your thought that maybe being that this was outside of the, the team's or driver's control. But like I said, I mean, there are so many things, you know, if you have a shock that breaks or a tire that goes, and even if Goodyear says, yeah, it was, it was something that they brought, I mean, it's part of part of racing. I mean, is what it comes down to to me anyway. You know, when back when the NASCAR made the decision to allow Jeff Gordon as an extra driver into the playoffs, when that was a, a direct manipulation of it uh, by another mm-hmm. team, I understood that. I it kind of surprised me that they did it as an exception, and I don't know that had it not been Jeff Gordon, if they'd have made that exception for anybody, but that was their decision. And, and I understood it. Like I said, it was actually kind of a surprise. And one of those of once you open that door of, you know, like I said, next time somebody has a shock failure that they say, Hey, it was a manufactured shock. We didn't do anything to it. We didn't put any extra pressure on it. You know, where, where do you draw that line then though? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You make a great point and, and I'm not denying that. I just think you've got a championship points leader, um, you know, that uh, got knocked out uh, because of this. It really does stink uh, for Grant Infinger, and uh, I I just really kind of feel for him in this situation, I guess. Uh, And I just wish there was something that NASCAR could do for for both him and Johnny Sauter. You've got a former champion and a potential champion, uh, you know, somebody who's the regular season champion already, uh, just completely out of contention now. And, um, yeah, Elmore stepping up, but that's kind of like, uh, you know, somebody stealing something and then stepping up and saying, oh, yeah, I did steal that. But, uh, you know, now I've, I've used that money and I can't give it back to you. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> That's uh, it's almost like stealing the, the the chances for those two drivers out of their out of their grasp. And well, they can't and, give it back and again, not, lot going, but lot of. But did say um, he stole it. They did step up and say they stole it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I had uh, now I had now I had something in my mind and I lost it. Uh, one of them, oh. Was, uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of playing devil advocate because, like I said, I understand stand the feeling of it. Oh, now I know where it was. I found my train back and put it back on the track. 
when well, it, okay. anytime when it comes comes down to it, not that I like I said, you know, that the engine was the problem and it wasn't of their doing. However, uh, if Johnny Sauter, just for example, had more bonus points, he missed a race due Correct. to something of his own doing. He put himself in a position where one race could take him out of it. Grant Enfinger doesn't have a win yet this year. If he'd have had a win, would that have you know given him enough points to to fall? You know, you understand what I'm saying? Of I do. Yeah, I do. it does come down to one race, but they had the opportunity in 20 some previous races to get in a better position in case something like that happened. So you know you got to look at both sides of it. Yeah, well, and and I think you did a good job of uh, presenting uh, your side of it, and I hope I did a good job presenting another side of it. Um, And, uh, you know, we'll let the listeners kind of come up with their own thoughts, I guess, on that topic. And if you want to tell us what your thoughts are on that topic, uh, that would be fantastic because I'd love to write an article about this, and I'd like to get as many views as we can possibly get because – um uh, it, it is kind of a unique situation i think and and jay you bring up some excellent excellent points i don't mean to take anything away from that because uh you did a really outstanding job of presenting that side of it uh but uh i think there's some other points to be made here and i'd love to hear from some other fans on that there yeah, other and, and like i said i mean Okay. Um, there, there certainly is, like you said, uh, of something like that. Uh, of, and I know NASCAR went through it too when they mandated the pit guns. Um, that there were some some failures on that or, or whatever. So, I mean, there are some scenarios where, but I, like I said, I would think it would have to be as a whole. In this case, not all of the NTI engines failed. You know, yeah, there is one or, or in this case three. Um, the pit guns, you know, there was one or two. So I, I just think it would be really tough for NASCAR to make an exemption um, based on that. Well, they, and the other thought. But to your point, they have made exemptions. Yeah, and like I said, I, and I, that's why I said even at that time, and I was a Jeff Gordon fan, and, I, you know, I was unhappy he didn't make it. The fact that that was an obvious, they, they determined an obvious manipulation that they opted to. I just, I, like I said, I think you're opening a door um, that you maybe don't want to have to be in to make that call every time. Because like I said, and it's, it's human nature, especially when it comes to, in my opinion, drivers, you give them an inch and they're going to try and take that mile. We know that. <laughs> so, yeah, like yeah, I said, anytime I they have a part and they say, hey, this was a manufactured part, we didn't do nothing to it, you know, where's ours? <laughs> yeah, and the fact that, that it opens the door for some uh, shenanigans, if you will, uh, for that exact scenario uh, is concerning as well. So, uh, like I say, you brought up some excellent points. So I get where you're coming from, but I think there is another side to that story. But yeah, there, there really is. There, there really is. Like you said, yeah, you know the fact that, and I, and I know at the time, especially under the the heat of the moment and the frustration that that Harvick has said it. I'm sorry, not Harvick, uh, Johnny Sauter. I don't know why Harvick was in my head, but uh, Johnny Sauter <laughs> said it, you know. Um, anytime, you know, like I said, no matter what it is, when it's something that's outside of your control, you know, if you just didn't right. didn't do anything, you don't feel like you did anything wrong. Um, 
is is really 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 tough to swallow you know and, and i think back to uh, as well and i don't remember what caused the engine failure you talk about somebody that has to live with that of william byron for the truck series championship when he ran two years ago mm-hmm. had the blown engine that took him out he went in one homestead had he made it and all he had to do was finish that race and he would have advanced go he ahead and win that good. race he would have been the champion you know you know, that's yep, just something yep. I guess you've you got to deal with. Yep, yep. That is a tough pill to swallow, though, without a doubt. Um, but, again, if it kind of re- keeps repeating itself uh, with engine fail- failures throughout the season, I don't know. There's just something about that that really bothers me. Um, and I think, again, it leaves the door open for some kind of, I don't know, gamesmanship, I don't know if that's the right word, or just misdoing, if you will. Um, Either way, no matter which way they go with this, there is an open door for uh, some kind of shenanigans, I guess is the best way I can put it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. Like I said, you you give them an inch or even open that door slightly, and they're going to try and kick it in. I'm saying if they don't do something, it also opens the door for shenanigans. It's not just if they do something, it's going to open the door for shenanigans. I'm saying even if they don't do anything, that door is still open for shenanigans, for parts failures. Well, and and I think back, too, that was another one that popped into my head of of an illegal part. Um, I believe it was Matt Kenseth. And it was while he was with Joe Gibbs Racing that they had something in one of the cylinders that came that way from TRD that cost them. Yes, I remember um, that. A race, yeah. You know, like I said, it's one of those of it. It doesn't happen on a frequent basis, and when it does, it just. <laughs> I want to use that word again, but it, it puts you in a bad situation. But again, you got to look at it as a, as a whole. Has the re- engine been reliable overall? And, and we haven't mm-hmm. seen anything like that. And like I said, the fact that the um, company is stepping up and saying hey, that was on us, yeah, doing the refresher, getting a new motor, whatever, doesn't take away what they lost. But they also know that the company is going to be behind them to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. It's like the bank saying, we're going to make sure nobody steals from you again. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I still think it feels that way to me. But let me just say um, I do applaud Ilmore Engineering for doing what they're doing. They're looking at all of the engines. that They want to look at every single engine and see if they can't figure out why whatever happened happened uh, to prevent it from happening in the future. And, and you do have to applaud them. Uh, for doing that. I don't want to take anything away from what Elmore Engineering is doing. I I think what they're doing is fantastic. But, again, it it does have that feel to it like, okay, we stole this from you. We're going to stand up and say, yeah, we stole it, and this is why we stole it from you. But, you know, we we spent it, and you're not going to be able to get any of that money back. Um, and but we're going to look into it and make sure it never happens again. Um, the, the, yeah, I mean the only the, the only the only issue I have there with with your uh, scenario that they didn't steal it. I mean they didn't do it intentionally. 
You know, and that there, and that goes back didn't. to the Jeff Gordon thing. You know, the fact that it was an intentional manipulation or something. If they were to find out that that team was specifically given a bad engine, then I'd have an issue with it and could understand, you know, making that exception. If, yeah, but how you do know, you prove that? Well, and think about it. We've seen this before when you talk about alliance teams. And I go mm-hmm. back to even Hendrick when Stuart Haas Racing was getting stuff from Hendrick that they had a couple of problems with theirs, and they said Hendrick is giving us bad stuff or whatever. And it would be extremely tough to prove, but I think that would be the only way that you could go back and have NASCAR step in and make an exception um, to a rule like that is if they were to able to, to determine it was an intentional type thing. Right. Well, the bank didn't intentionally steal the money. What they did is they gave it to somebody else unintentionally. It didn't go into your account. It went into somebody else's account, and they spent that money. You, you okay. follow what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, here's the, they didn't do it intentionally, but, you know, anyway, they're going to look into it and find out what they can do to prevent it from happening again. Uh, that's all good and well. But I just I do feel like their opportunity was stolen away from them a little bit. But, you, again, I think you bring up excellent points in that they had the 25, 26 races before that, in order to get a win, in order to get more playoff points, in order to gain more points in general, stage points, whatever, uh, to put themselves into a better position. Obviously, Matt Crafton did do that and had enough points that it did not hurt him in spite of the fact that he had an engine failure. So um, all your points are well taken without any doubt. So I just want to hear uh, from some other people in here. I, I'd love to hear Andy's take on this one. Yeah, we, well, we might have to revisit that <laughs> when he's able to be on again, hopefully Monday or Thursday next week, because um, I'm sure he definitely have some uh, some input as well. Uh, and, yep. uh, it, you know, it's no different. We talked about it in the, in the ARCA series. You know, you got two teammates, both of them, your team that you want to see. One's going to win, one's going to lose. I mean, you always feel bad for the one that mm-hmm. doesn't. Mm-hmm. No, and and I, I I applaud you, Jay. I think you brought up some great points, and and I agree with a lot of those points, for that matter. Uh, I just want to play devil's advocate here a little bit, uh, and and I want to know what other people are thinking about this as well. Uh, have they talked about that yet on uh, some of the talk shows that you've listened to? You know, truthfully, uh, and I don't remember. I don't know when that article. Uh, article came out um, from when you sent it for as a hot topic tonight. Uh, I hadn't heard any on any of the stories that they are on any of the shows, even that they had addressed it truthfully. I mean, that one might be one of those that kind of goes under the radar. I know Matt Weaver had the article up as well on auto week. Uh, He generally covers everything, Um, but I hadn't heard it talked about on any of the shows that I listened to. No. Mm Mhm. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to listen and see what they say about it over the weekend, um, uh, because I'm I'm really curious to know how, what other people are thinking about it as well. So, um, what other hot topics did you have? Well, we kind of wrote, uh, danced around this one with uh, with some of the things that have happened here this week. There are still a couple of openings and unknowns 
especially at the cup level, but at the Xfinity as well, which uh, unfortunately they kind of got to play second fiddle, if you will, as the top deals get done, kind of the go with what's left. But we've seen a couple of deals, talked about Brandon Jones re-signing at Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series. But at the cup level, we still don't have anybody into the front row motorsports. And I know there's been some Mm -hmm. talk about that one. Uh, The 37 seat is now obviously open, which I'm sure that'll be a day or two before we hear anything, as, again, that just happened. Um, But we've also heard the rumblings of the 32 Go Fast Racing and and whether or not uh, that might be a Stuart Haas Alliance-type deal to move Cole Custer up. So a couple of seats still available, and what your thoughts were on who maybe could or should go there in those seats? Oh. Yeah, I think we put out a lot of uh, opportunities mm. there uh, for people to fill those seats. I think there's plenty of drivers uh, as potential. We mentioned Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, we've been, you know, you just mentioned Cole Custer is one of those possibilities. Um, uh, there are all kinds of opportunities there for for uh, drivers coming up through the series, and even coming from like the Truck Series or the Xfinity Series. Uh, to fill those seats Uh, and some of them may be ready some of them may not be ready Uh, we've seen both of those scenarios play out uh, with drivers moving up to the cup series I think prematurely I would love for a lot of those drivers to stay in the in the truck series or the Xfinity series a little bit longer uh, and and uh, you know kind of up the competition in those series uh, even more so, uh, to be honest with you. So it, it'll be interesting to see what does happen, though, with those seats. Uh, I suspect that all of them will be filled when the musical, uh, when the music stops, if you will. Uh, and there's going to be some people that are going to be out. Now, one of the other things that have been in the uh, uh, rumor mill, and I'm going to restate that, this is rumor right now, but they've been talking about Garrett Smithley possibly going to Rick Rare Racing in uh, 2020. So um, uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. Um, I know Garrett uh, wants to run as as many as much as he possibly can. Um, and doesn't, it sounds like he's talking he... to a lot of different people. And it just one of the people he's talking to includes Rick Ware Racing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. If I got the wrong driver, I apologize. But isn't he the one that needs to go win a late model race first? Oh yeah, he's one of those drivers, uh, which okay. is kind of laughable when you think about it. <laughs> uh, but Extremely Davis so. Kind of, yeah, um, Johnny Davis would love to have Garrett Smithley come back uh, to JD Motorsports. So he's probably one of the organizations that he's talking to about the 2020 season. Uh, But I also know that Davis has also encouraged drivers like Ross Chastain to talk to other teams um, and not just kind of pigeonhole themselves into J.D. Motorsports. And and that's exactly what Garrett Smithley is doing, I think. And, you know, sometimes when you talk to another team and they show some interest into you, it kind of ups your uh, bargaining chip, if you will, if you're uh, uh, bargaining with another team. So I, I think that's all part of it in this case. 
That that's true. I, I, I'd um, talk about that. They have always been one. Just as the Canon series knows, it's a it's a feeder system. They are teams that that obviously want the best for their team, but also know that it's a kind of a stepping stone, if you will, to some other opportunities. And especially with drivers like Ross Chain, Ross Chastain, I think that he fully supported that in him moving mm-hmm. to the opportunity that he had with the truck series. So it's great to see an owner like that that is aware of their situation, wants to help the best for that driver, as well as then obviously develop and build their own team. Absolutely, absolutely. And and that's what I kind of see happening in this particular case as well. Uh, as far as the seats being filled and the, and the point that you brought up, I just think there's so many possibilities um, did you have specific drivers that you kind of think are going to go into specific places? I, Other than I, the whole I, I country say, you already mentioned. I can't say knowledge-wise. I mean, my hope is, is specifically to possibly the JTG or even the front row that that I think Ross Chastain, and, and I know it's not a top team. I mean, it's kind of like Matt DiBenedetto. He's, he's slowly built his way up in levels. Um, that Ch- mm-hmm. Ross Chastain is one that deserves that opportunity. Um, and, and we talked about, you know, we didn't talk about tonight, but is out there right now, Daniel Hemrick. Now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. he only has the one year of experience. So, uh, again, he's another one. Especially to a team like Front Row and JTG Daughter that are doing what they're doing on a limited budget, you know, they need one that they know they can count on to not. Uh, tear up cars and, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, get the the best solid finish. You know, like I mentioned, if it's a 20th place car, at least get 20th, maybe 15th out of it. So I don't know if Daniel Hemrick fits into that category yet, but I do think that, again, he needs the chance to prove that as you don't really get that opportunity in just your rookie season. Um which unfortunately has kind of become the way, and we've seen this in in, in the past of it's a do or do or die now situation. Okay, uh, that's that's true. Now another, I'm going to move on to another topic here because again we're kind of running out of time, and I want to make sure we do talk about this. Adam Stern again is reporting now that NASCAR is looking at the possibility of eliminating pit stops as a way to save money in some of the lower-level teams, um, lower-level series. Uh, We're talking truck series and Xfinity series. Uh, And I wanted to get your kind of thoughts about that. Um, They're eliminating the possibility of eliminating pit stops in the lower-level national series, but not currently likely to be implemented in 20. So I guess they're looking at this as possibly 2021 before it's implemented. Uh, but we've seen this happen like in like the um, – uh, we saw it happen in the truck series for sure. They used to have a the mid-race pit stop or I forget what they called it now, but they used to have something like that in the truck series, and then they went away from that. Uh uh, the, he, he goes on to say NASCAR recognizes that this could hurt its product so much that it wouldn't be worth the team cost savings. So that's why they're hesitant to make that switch. But teams have actually asked NASCAR to help them improve their business model 
which is why that idea is being considered in the first place. So what are your thoughts about limiting the pit stops or eliminating pit stops in the uh, Xfinity and Truck Series? At the, at the top three level, I, I don't think that's the answer. Uh, I applaud NASCAR for looking at it and exploring options as to, to where they can save money. But as you mentioned, that is how the Truck Series started. And I, you're right, I can't remember the term. I know we see it in the K&N where they have the, the controlled brakes, um, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a time limit. You had five minutes to do whatever or limited what you could do in those five minutes under that break. And, and there's a reason that it didn't last that way. I mean, that's especially once you get to the the top levels, to me, and I understand, again, even at the, the top three, that it's still kind of tiered when people look at it of the trucks, then the Xfinity, and then the cup level. The that, But that's part of what adds to the excitement and, and part of racing. Um, so especially with these longer races, the longer races go like that, I think that's where you need to have that option or part of the, the race. Especially, too, if you talk about, if you take it away from the trucks and the Xfinity, Xfinity. you get to the cup level, what baseline then does a driver have to even practice that or be accustomed to that? You know, so that's part of the progression. You know, um, we've heard drivers talk about that when they go from the Can-Am series to a series that then now involves that. They said, you know, I've never done a live pit stop before. So... I, that, to me, it's part of the progression. It's a part of racing. Uh, but like I said, I do applaud NASCAR for looking at and trying to help teams find a way to, to save costs. I know with the, the pulling of uh, when we talked about uh, pulling an extra man from uh, the pit wall or the over-the-wall crew, in a way they found that, that eliminates one person. But on the other hand, too, I, we'll get into this, um, teams that say, hey, help us save money. Well, NASCAR did that. They said, quit spending thousands and millions of dollars on improving your pit, your pit gun. You know, mm-hmm. well, then they didn't like that. And, and even so, when, mm-hmm. they, when they stopped that, what did they do? They found somewhere else to spend it. NASCAR said, we're not going to allow you to go test at all these tracks on the off weekends or wherever during the week. Well, what'd they do? Then they mm-hmm. go into the simulator, into the, the wind tunnel, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. these teams got to do it themselves. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, uh, you yeah. know, you control yeah. your and, and there's teams out there that are doing it. We talk about JTG Dartery or whatever. There are teams that are doing it without spending that kind of money. So it can be done. It and I understand be to be the top level, obviously you're going to do what you have to do. But then you can't say that NASCAR needs to take care of that because you're doing it yourself. Right. And then complain about what NASCAR did. Um, and, uh, yeah, now, that too. <laughs> um, and here's the thing. You brought up the main complaint that I would have against limiting those pit stops. You know, those series that come up from the ARCA Racing Series or from the K&M Pro Series, they're coming up. That's part of the experience that they get that helps them move eventually to the Cup Series. If you eliminate that experience development uh, in the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series, now these guys have no background or, you know, development on how to handle pit stops. And you don't want them learning how to do that in the Cup Series. That's the last place. There's already drivers like Kyle Busch that are complaining about drivers that 
he, they, he, they feel are less experienced, um, which may or may not be the case. But anyway, uh, that kind of carries me on to another rant. But anyway, um, I, I think Does, they need it? to have that development process in place because uh, uh, and taking those pit stops away, I think, would hurt that development process. Does that, does that involve a driver then saying that a, that a driver shouldn't be out there because he's never done a pit stop before, too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I would anticipate here. We've got drivers out here that have never done a pit stop. Um, you know, uh, I just think, you know, that just doesn't make sense to me. So as much as I, I, I also applaud NASCAR for looking for cost-cutting measures, they need to do that, and and for them to consider that, I think is good that they're considering it. I guess to a certain degree, but I think if they really look at that, they're they're eliminating some of their development process, and I think that would be a huge, huge loss, uh, not just to the truck series and the Xfinity series, but it would be a huge loss for the Cup series as well. Well, and like you said, we're talking right now about Daniel Hemrick. Got one year and didn't even mm-hmm. complete his rookie season. If you're going to put more pressure on him, like you said, having to learn how to do pit stops, then when they get to the cup level, and that just adds to it, and they don't perform as well as you expect, or you know make mistakes, you know that's just one more reason you're going to see drivers that that don't really get the opportunity um, because they haven't had yeah. that that foundation. So. Yeah, as a whole, you're right. I, I like the fact that NASCAR is looking and trying to help, but I, I don't think that's an area where they need need to find it. You know, if if nothing else, truthfully, one of the things I would look at, and we've heard drivers talk about this, when we talk about the impound races or the amount of time, and I know it's changed over the years, of practice sessions at a track. These drivers, mm-hmm. with the exception of rookies or newer drivers, you know, I've been to these tracks, so the same day, practice, qualifying, and race in the same day. Uh, you know, I, I don't see a problem with that. And you're talking about road crews then that only need to be there yep. for one day and one overnight. Versus, I think something yep. like that. And to me, that helps actually put a better product on the track. You know, again, yeah. if you, yep. you don't show up to the, to the race with you your car right, your for, right off the truck, or get it right in in that one practice session before qualifying, it's going to provide for better racing. You're going to see different drivers and teams be able to compete. So I also mm-hmm. think that would kind of com- uh, bring the field a little bit closer together, which has been a goal of theirs with the cars. So something yeah. in that aspect is what I would look at, the Jay Hoosman Cup. That's oh, okay. what we're going to do. Yep. Okay. Sounds good, Mr. Hoosman. <laughs> All right, now here's the thing. <laughs> we are at the top of the hour once again. We're likely to get cut off here, but uh, I just want to make sure we uh, try to do our uh, roundtable here and uh, give you a chance uh, to give your social media handles and, uh, uh, you know, kind of lead into our next show here or the weekend. Or uh, right. Uh you can follow me on Michael Hussman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, where you can see me campaigning for Ross Chastain to get a cup ride. Um, <laughs> and this Saturday I will be at Jackson Motor Speedway as they wrap up their regular season with the ASCS Sprint Cars before their final event in November of the All-American 60. 
All right, and I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, uh, and uh, uh, I do have some articles up at uh, fanforacing.com about playoffs and uh, the, you know the playoff situation right now. We also put up the 2020 schedules for all three of the series, so you can catch that at fanforacing.com, uh, which is uh, I think pretty cool. And not only is it the schedule, but it includes uh, the start times and uh, the networks that we'll be covering. There's a lot more major network coverage uh, that will be taking place this year. So I think that's all good. And, again, you can find that at fanforacing.com. So uh, we will be back on air Monday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time for our NASCAR and Race Talk review of this weekend of racing, as well as our hot topics at 10 p.m. And then Jay and I, of course, will be back next Thursday night uh, to do the preview of the next upcoming weekend of racing, So along with hot topics at 10. So with that, Andy, we missed you tonight. We hope to see you back on Monday night. And uh, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We do appreciate each and every one of you. And once again, Jay, a big thank you to you guys on Monday night. I was really under the weather. Uh, I was barely keeping my eyes open during the show. Uh, And you guys uh, pretty much took over for me, which was uh, fantastic. And I do appreciate that. Oh, that was good. We had fun, and I know I, on a couple of them, I think uh, we covered pretty much everything. I know you've been doing it a lot longer, uh, and then I'm both running it through our head, but like, well, we've heard it a whole bunch. Can we repeat it? So, but um, <laughs> and, uh, he helped cover part of that as far as hitting the social media, and I did that 930 mark. So hopefully it all came out right. Yes. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, I do appreciate it, and uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to talking to everybody on the other side of the weekend. Take care and enjoy your race weekend. Have a good weekend. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.